Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. As always, I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and I want to thank you all once again for joining me for the 56th time to banish another wonderful games industry member to the deserted islands of Final Games. I do want to apologize firstly for my disgusting cold that I have this week, so I will do my best not to sniffle and cough throughout this episode. Joining me this week is a guest whose games industry experiences bounce from all corners and aspects of the industry. Having started out as a video game journalist, my guest worked as a freelancer covering the Japanese side of games for websites such as 1UP and the legendary Famitsu. It was then he was hired by the one and only Metal Gear creator himself, Hideo Kojima. Hired initially, it is said, to help westernize certain aspects of the Metal Gear Solid franchise during the development of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. His roles at Kojima Productions are hard to nail down. Having started out as the company's international manager, he then worked as a producer on MGS Portable Ops and also MGS4 Guns of the Patriots. After working for three years under Kojima-san, my guest then completed what some might call a real gaming heel turn, moving across the water back to America to work with Microsoft on their biggest franchise, Halo. My guest worked as a creative director at the newly formed 343 Industries, where he then went on to work as a narrative designer on Halo 4. In 2011 though, my guest embarked on his biggest project yet, creating his own studio, the wonderfully named Camouflage. Under the Camouflage banner, my guest and his studio completed a successful Kickstarter campaign for their episodic action-adventure stealth title, Republique. Raising over half a million dollars in funds initially for an iOS and PC launch, Republic has gone on to release successfully on Android and PlayStation 4 as well. I'm incredibly excited to say that joining me this week is the founder of Camouflage, the lovely Mr. Ryan Payton. Hello, Ryan. Hey, thank you so much. That's a very nice intro. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope I, uh, we were saying a little earlier before we started recording that the internet is a... Um, sometimes incorrect place and sometimes I can get things from the internet that are totally wrong about people so I hope everything that I just said was factually correct it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty accurate uh, the oh. only the only one was that I did join Konami uh, after Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater was released but during the development of subsistence ah okay but that's so, the only technicality but otherwise like spot on Liam I'm oh, very impressed thank you very much yeah okay so it was the subsistence release okay that makes sense Ryan it is wonderful to have you here we finally after a about three weeks now of batting, uh, trying to get a time. I've been at Bit Summit and busy. You've been busy yourself as well. We're finally here, and we're ready to uh, banish you to a deserted island. Which oh I do boy, I'm looking for. forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> you've been. Uh, I will admit, I've been very excited talking to you because every time you you have reiterated to me, you're very excited to do this, and you are looking forward to be being banished, which does surprise me. Well, look, that's like you know, that's going to be a common theme, I think, in my list is that uh, it's, it's been. It's been a long. My career has been really busy. I, I work a lot of hours, and I just my time to be able to play games is really diminished. And so I just can't really think of anything better than to be banished to an island for the rest of my life and be able to catch up on a lot of these games that uh, you know I really love, but also you know some other surprises too. We'll get into. <laughs> That's great. I mean, you're gonna have all the time in the world, really. You're gonna, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're gonna have nonstop free time to uh, do whatever it is you choose. Um, First, let's talk a little bit about you working in the games industry then, because as I said, you sort of started working in the journalism side of things and then moved over to production and development and that kind of thing. You are now the founder and like head of your own studio, which is quite an incredible thing. But tell me a little bit how you sort of got into the games industry initially. Did you want to be a journalist or were you always working your way towards being a developer? Yeah, I think uh, I was always I was one of those journalists. Uh, you know them well, I'm sure that uh, that secretly 
want to be game developers, right? And then there's other journalists that just like the the craft and the the whole side of the of the writing side and the journalism side. But I was yeah. definitely I had my end goal in mind, which was that I wanted to work on 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 video games on the creative side of them. Um, that stemmed from way back when I was really young, and uh, ever since my dad bought a Atari 2600 when uh, from a garage sale back when I was maybe four or five years old, and uh, and then kind of that that passion really continued throughout my uh, my adolescence into my adult life, uh, and uh, when I um, I took a similar path that, that you did, Liam, I, I decided to move to Japan, uh, and uh, I did it under under at least for me, I did it uh, under the auspice of being a an English teacher for uh, for the Jet program. Yep. And, uh, and I, uh, knowing that I was moving to Japan, I got accepted. This is right after college. And, uh, I decided I was going to, you know, I want to do, do something with, with my, with my, with my free time. I didn't know how many, how much free time I would have, but I decided to write in a, a letter to the, to the editor of, uh, Xbox nation magazine. And I sent them some clippings from my uh, college newspaper. I was writing video game articles. Um, this is around 2002, 2003 when, uh, I was reviewing games like Metroid Prime or Halo or Internal Darkness, and uh, and I sent those those newspaper clippings. Uh, a couple weeks later, I got an email and said, "Hey, we really like your writing, uh, and you're moving to Japan, so uh, we'll give you basically." They didn't say it in so many words, but they basically said, "We're going to give you the lowest totem pole like uh, job on on our entire staff, which is <laughs> covering the Xbox beat in Japan. It's yours, Ryan. It's yours." Oh, so basically, they gave you a job that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, really? So is this like a nice way of them saying that they don't want to work with me? Um, because I don't know what I'm going to be covering. <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows anything about Xbox in Japan, you know it pretty much doesn't exist. The Xbox One, I think, um, my friend Adam Ivanko, uh, Gaijin Hunter, regularly updates Twitter telling us how many units the Xbox One oh, is sold in no. Japan. I think it's like maximum 2,000 a week. And I yeah, think even that that right. pushing it, that yeah. That sounds about what what we were experiencing, you know, back in uh, 2003, uh, when I first moved to Japan and started doing the the Xbox Nation beat. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember there were some weeks where the it would sell uh, just a few hundred units, um, but I, you know, over time, I, I, you know, as as funny as it is, as it is, and it's kind of as of a sad state that the Xbox was in Japan and continues to be. It, I actually really developed a passion for the topic, and I thought it was actually really interesting. Um, uh, kind of a business case of a huge multinational corporation trying to enter the games biz- business, understanding that Japan, at least at, the, at that time, was around 30%, 33% of the ga- total global games market, and them understanding that they needed to at least put a huge effort there, and then watching and seeing the success- successes and failures of that effort. You know, again, doesn't maybe excite so too many people, but for me, I thought it was a really interesting beat to cover. <laughs> well, it's somewhere to start, isn't it? It's, yes, uh, it's somewhere to start. It's there somewhere to start, and you just build upon that. And I imagine then um, your knowledge, having moved over here, one thing that you do sort of come to, to I think, is you, you grow a fondness towards being one of the only people in Japan and knowing little tidbits about the Japanese industry that maybe other people don't know. So I mm-hmm. imagine you became quite a valuable person to go to for anything that was... Because, I mean, this is during, like, the PlayStation 2 era as well, which is, correct, like, correct. Japanese games flying out of the country all the time. Um, I imagine that sort of built... You built up a reputation of being, like, the go-to guy for, like, Japanese stuff. Well, I'd like to think so, Liam. I think I really became the go-to guy for Xbox in Japan, just, like, for, <laughs> for years. So, uh, yeah, I really... For better or for worse, I didn't really expand um, beyond that, that, that topic. I think for a variety of reasons, but... Um, you know, I was busy with my with my job a little bit, and then you know I just was so engrossed in um, 
and that was like kind of my competitive advantage versus all these other writers that were coming yeah. out and uh, and there was plenty of people in Tokyo. I was in a very rural part of Japan in Hyogo, uh, Hyogo oh, prefecture, okay. prefecture, which is a very large prefecture in Japan. I mean, Hyogo is still not like where I live in Kansai, which is like the backwater sticks of nowhere. But I understand well, that for I, people, I, I it's might, not Tokyo. <laughs> I might I might beg to differ because I chose I was I I, I requested Hyogo purposely what? because it was close to Kobe, which is a big city, and yeah. Kobe is very close to Osaka and Kyoto, yeah. and and so I you, thought you you were kind of like. The, you're kind of like where I, because I'm in Okayama. Mm-hmm. So Okayama is like the west side of Kobe, but Correct. still within like three hours of Osaka, Kyoto, and Kobe. So I imagine, yeah, we both kind of have the same deal. Well, how long would it take you if you left right now to go to be in Kobe, for example? Depends what we're taking. Are we taking the Shinkansen or are we taking the highway bus? Because I uh, always take the highway bus because it's cheaper. How, okay, what would it take you? What would it do for the... The highway how, bus to Kobe would be two and a bit hours so i was over eight hours from any major city metropolitan area whoa what yes so this all backfired on me i thought i was like the smartest guy in the room i was going to select hyogo prefecture because everybody wants to select either tokyo or osaka or something like that right kyoto absolutely i uh i looked at the map and i realized that over 90 percent of the population of hyogo is actually right around the kobe area in Himeji, right? So yeah, I thought, in Himeji area, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. I can get in, you know, if I save up a little money, I can go on the on the Shinkansen. I could, you know, be in somewhat of a metropolitan area. They put me in the most in the furthest spot of that entire the largest prefecture of Japan, <laughs> furthest from Kobe that I could possibly were you, be. Were you I like, was in the. Were you yeah, like sorry, bordering Totori? Like I know. Totori. I was absolutely. I was absolutely do- uh, bordering Totori, <laughs> and I was in a fishing village. Where there was literally not a single person my age within ten years of me, <laughs> except my colleagues at the high school. I cried the first night that I arrived because I was put in like the dumpiest little like apartment that is just barely standing, where it was just it was dirty. There's garbage everywhere. Uh, I don't, no internet. No, and I'm looking out at the Sea of Japan. That's like the only nice silver lining to this yeah. whole thing was I was literally on the on the shore of, of the Sea of Japan, so I could look outside my window and actually see ocean, which is pretty cool for yeah. you know a guy who's 23 years old. He's got an ocean view, right? But surrounded by nothing. There was no. I mean, anybody as any of your listeners know that Japan is synonymous for many things, and one of them being convenience stores, seemingly on every single uh, block, but. There was not even a single convenience store within thirty like thirty minutes of where I was. No way, because I even now I find that when I because I live in Okayama, but I live sort of on the outskirts of the city mm-hmm, mm-hmm. limits. I live like in the Higashi side, and my combini is like a I'd like five minute drive, but like a fifteen minute walk, and I and I'm like oh, oh my god that's 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 long. That's why I, I would have done very bad things, Liam, to be in a situation <laughs> like yours. I was, it was a huge shock for me, huge, huge shock. And so, and I'm this random foreigner living in Japan on the, on the, you know, in, in, on the sea of Japan, uh, walking along the, the coastline every night, thinking about ideas for articles about Xbox in Japan and what I could pitch to my editors back in San Francisco. So you didn't have a combini. And yeah, I am that. imagining you didn't have a, 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 a Geo or a Bit Camera or any, oh. any sort of video game store either. No, oh, no, no, no. So Not I'm, within, I'm, uh, uh, on the launch is, of Halo 2, it was yeah. like I needed to get that game. And the closest thing store that would cover, like that would actually uh, have Halo 2 or even have like the remote chance of having Halo 2 in the store 
was a, at least a two-hour trek to Totori. Oh my! Like this is during the time of uh, non-digital video games as well. This is all Correct. Yes. physical. Yes. So all physical. Uh, you weren't getting review copies sent to Japan, or I was yeah. getting. So my mom would send me copies of games because um, <laughs> because I was getting paid in America. So the the money I was getting from Ziff Davis would go in my American bank account, which yes. she had power to withdraw from. And then she, I would ask her to buy. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas or Metroid Prime 2 or Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. Uh, and uh, she would send me, or Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, rather. And she would box those up and she would send them to me via, you know, U- U- UPS or whatever it was. Uh, and I would get these things a week or 10 days later. Uh, and then Microsoft would also send me um, through the uh, like Kuro Neko, like a postal service in Japan. Yeah. They would send me copies of, of Japanese Xbox games. I feel like... You've done your time, Ryan. You deserve, <laughs> you deserve what you have now and oh, your own. I don't know about that. Being I, being being someone who knows exactly where you're coming from in terms of like Inaka. I lived in Kagawa last year. So oh man, yeah. It, but it it was still not like eight hours levels of madness. Um, but I entirely can understand where you're coming from. It just sounds like my worst nightmare now. I'm so happy to be sort of in a city. Uh, it can be. Pretty desperately lonely as well, being so far. You just get all the Obasans and Ojisans staring at you as the only white guy in the village, yeah. which is so strange as well. Um, but tell me then, uh, we're going to sort of have to push on a little bit. Tell me, from that point then, being in Hyogo, I imagine you're studying Japanese, you got very good at Japanese. Um, you're obviously balancing because you're balancing your teaching and you're doing stuff for Ziv Davis. How did you end up working? For Konami, and mm-hmm. more specifically, Kojima-san, like, that is a big step up. Yeah, I have a very, uh, you know, charmed life, I like to tell people, and I feel very lucky, and yeah, yeah. so I was doing the, the JET program thing for a year and a half, uh, not teaching very much, actually. Uh, they, they didn't give me many classes per, per week to do. In fact, um, the, the, I'll, I'll, I know we need to move on, but one other final funny anecdote about living and teaching in rural Japan was that they actually assigned me to a school for delinquent children. Um, and so I ended up getting uh, some paid leave for about a month um, near the end of my contract because uh, I had assaulted a, a student. Um, I, I basically broke the law by touching a student. Um, there was a student, part of this delinquent school, um, that uh, during one of the classes, uh, like right before the class, uh, I was team teaching with a, with a young uh, female teacher. And on the way in, the student like grabbed her breast on the way in and said like, you know, morning teacher or whatever. And I'm just sitting there with my eyes just like wide, by my 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 mouth is a gap. And she's like, oh, please don't do that to me, to the student. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This this is beyond just please don't do that. So I grabbed him by the collar. He says like, you know, get off of me. You know, he pushes me. I push it back. I'm like, you know, like five years older than this guy. Six years older than this. <laughs> He gets expelled, but I get I get paid leave for about a month because again, like this is a t- very touchy subject. It's um, very strange because I've had, especially last year when I was teaching a lot, I've had this scenario because uh, you had, a lot of Japanese teachers are women, females, it, mm-hmm. predominantly, especially in elementary schools in Japan, it's mostly female teachers, and some of the boys, especially like junior high school students who just think they're the boss, especially in the Inaka, in the countryside, because there is no one else around to 
to sure, sort of, sure, sure. for them to compete with. They are just like the number one. Yeah, out of control, man. And they will just <laughs> do anything because of the way Japan is in terms of male and female. It's still pretty mm-hmm. not, uh, not great. And um, yeah, I've had this scenario play out in my head. Like I've seen times when I can feel something is about to happen. And luckily I've never had to step in, but I've always wondered in my head, would I step in? And I absolutely Well, you're better about it than I am because like, I, I just couldn't, couldn't I would have back. stepped in. No, no, I would have stepped in. I would have absolutely stepped in as well. So I'm with you there. I would have stepped well, in. Well, and I found myself, oh, well, thank you. And I and I, I found myself with a, with a month of paid leave, but also thinking, you know what? This is maybe my time. This is maybe a time to move on from this place. And I'm I'm playing Metal Gear Solid 3. I'm playing um, Halo 2. I'm playing, it's a, it's a, it's 2000, this is 2000, um, this must be 2005. Um, so, you know, a lot of great games. Oh, yeah, end of 2004, beginning of 2005. It's a lot of great games. I end up moving to Osaka, uh, pack my bags. I have some money saved up, and I decide to just take start focusing on Japanese language full time. Uh, I do that for a few months. I run out of money. Um, and uh, one of the things I did, though, is I spent some of my money to cover E3 2005. Uh, so I covered the the flight to the, to, to the show, and... Um, I was covering the show for 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 Ziff Davis and OneUp.com, and this is one of the crazy moments of my life that I just look back and think just how lucky I was. I for some reason I had a cell phone. I was borrowing my father's cell phone, and I got a call from James Milkey, who was my editor editor at OneUp, and I was I was covering like DS titles, like really minor things that nobody really wanted to cover. And I uh, I remember looking at the phone, and I was busy busy at E3, you know, covering all these smaller games, and thinking, should I pick up this call? And because it's my boss, you know, he's probably going to put me on another assignment. I'm like, I'm busy with all these things. But sure, sure. What's, what's Milky got to say? Yeah. Hey, what's what's going on, man? Hey, I just double booked. I've got Sakaguchi and Hideo Kojima both at the same time. I'm going to take Sakaguchi. I need you to interview Hideo Kojima right now. <laughs> well, oh, sure, man. Where I go? He tells me the room and I just start running over there. And thank, thankfully, I just finished playing Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater and loved the game. In fact, it's my favorite video game of all time. Uh, and uh, I interviewed him. Um, I didn't allude to the fact that I understood what he was saying during the during the interview. Best way uh, but to after, be. After the yeah, I didn't want to be that guy. And also after the interview, I didn't want to be that guy asking for his picture or for a signed autograph or whatever. I just really wanted to. I was really impressed with his translator. His na- his translator was named Aki Saito, uh, and I want to talk to him after the sh- after the interview. I said, "Wow, you're like one of the best translators I've ever met." And we started talking, and we started talking about how I'm in Osaka, living there, and. And then Hideo, after the interview, he goes to the restroom. On his way back, Aki and I are speaking in Japanese. And then Hideo looks at me and says, like, why didn't you just say that you understood everything I just said in that interview? And I said, well, I was there with other journalists. I just didn't want to be that guy. He's like, oh, I, that makes sense. Uh, wh- so what are you doing now? You, are you looking for a job? I said, well, <laughs> uh, I'm well, kind of working now. But sh- sh- sure, I mean, I'm, I'm open to these things. Well, I just, I just let go, you know, one of the guys that is doing more of the the foreign, you know, international work of the company, uh, would you be interested in interviewing for that position? I said, sure. So long story short, I ended up uh, coming back to Japan, interviewing there multiple times, spending a lot of money going back and forth, back and forth with Osaka to Tokyo, running out of money. And, uh, you know, I, I put everything I could into that, those, to those interviews. And I was pretty crushed when um, I got the, the notice from that, that, that I failed the interview and that they're moving on and they're going to hire somebody else. So uh, I decided that, you know what, I think my time in Japan is over. It's been, I've been here for, you know, a couple of years. So I moved back to, um, to the Seattle, Portland area. Uh, I decided that I was just going to, you know, find a gig somewhere in, this, in, in that area. And, yeah. uh, 
And uh, I, I went to Costco. I bought um, a pack of um, Mountain Dew and World of Warcraft. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this thing. And I didn't get too much too too far because about five or five or six days into that, I get an email from Konami. We've made a terrible mistake. You actually did get the job. We just got mixed up on the list of people that we were going to hire. Oh my God, Jesus okay. Christ! We need you to move back to Japan ASAP because Tokyo Game Show is coming up, and we need your help on this. And I said, <laughs> I wrote back. I said, Well, that's good news. Um, so, are you going to be covering my travel expenses or my move expenses? No. Uh, classic, of course, Japanese company. Are you kidding me? No, of course not. <laughs> and I had just bought a car. Oh, God. And so sell the car, you know, pack my bags, uh, and uh, move back to Japan. Uh, and just in time for Tokyo Game Show 2005. <laughs> so like it's, I said, very charmed life. It's very funny because my sort of, that's sort of how my rock star sort of employment went. I interviewed for months and months and months. Was told I didn't get the job. We'll keep your mm. name on file. Then I went and moved halfway across the UK. So it's not to the extreme, but it was wow. still completely yeah. Yeah, Mendoxai. Yeah. Then you get like an email a month later. It's like, oh, actually, we want you to come work for us. Please, like, I'd put like a six month deposit down on like an apartment and yep, yep. all that I sort of stuff. And then you have to just pack it all up because it's the you games do. industry and it's what you want to do. That's crazy. But. Probably the best decision you ever made, right? Yeah, I think it was it was a no brainer. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't think twice. Absolutely, oh, it's crazy. Well, you are now here, and you have been through Konami, through Microsoft, through multiple projects now to be the founder of your own studio. And um, I think we'll talk a little bit about how you founded sure, Camouflage sure, sure. when we get to the the first game on your list. Because okay. I think it's sort of all tied in together. So I think it's about time now that we jump in to your eight games and get ready to send you off to the deserted island in which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So why don't we now listen to some music from the first game on Ryan's list and jump into Ryan's final games. So jumping into Ryan's final games now, we're going to talk about the first game on his list. And it's interesting because you have a little bit of history with this franchise, as we mentioned. Um, but it's not the game you worked on. It's a very very much, in fact, the first game in the series. And I think a, a favorite of most people who are fans of the series. This game was very revolutionary at the time and is still held in such high regard as one of the best console shooters of all time. Potentially the best. It was developed, of course, by Bungie and published by, eventually, Microsoft Game Studios. 
It was released back on the original Xbox on November 15th, 2001. So a little bit before Ryan's time working as an Xbox correspondent in Japan. And of course, it is the military science fiction shooter, Halo Combat Evolved. Ryan, why is the first game on your list, Halo Combat Evolved? Now, this is just like a lot of your 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 guests that have been banished to to many islands. Uh, you know, Halo is just the is a game that uh, you know I keep coming back to. Uh, it was really influential uh, for me growing up. I was in college when the game came out. Um, really played. I played a ton of this game uh, solo, legendary on my own uh, with my with my brother, my friends. You know, we did the whole system link thing, um, and uh, just like you know, many nights, you know, just like we're playing the game till the sun came up. Um, just a seminal, really important game, I think, for the industry, but also just for me personally. I just have lots of lots of fun memories of it. So this is kind of just like the uh, the go-to. I'm going to probably play this for the rest of my life anyway, like a few games online here and there. Um, just one of those that you can always replay. Seems like a kind of no-brainer decision. Yeah, I mean, I think what your listeners will find out is I have a little bit of a theme going through with my list. It's the, the first you know half of my list is a little more sentimental where I feel like I could come back to it and kind of remember fond times from my from my life um, like good any kind of good song or a smell it kind of brings you back to certain times and memories and I have really really great memories about Halo and also really affected my career I didn't know at the time when I played the first Halo game but um, that also yeah. is another reason why um, I, I I put this on my list and so yeah it's it's a kind of a mixture of all those things you know so we can talk about, obviously, we spoke about your Xbox correspondent gig here in Japan. And being, a, it's funny because you were in Japan and you're kind of one of the only people I would know who was heavily involved on the Xbox side of things. People come over to Japan, they get involved in all the Nintendo stuff like myself or, you know, at the time it was all the PlayStation 2 era stuff and mm-hmm. uh, all that sort of stuff. The Xbox side is the, the more American side of things, shall we say. Um, but you did work for Konami and then after leaving Konami, um, to move back to the state side, you ended up working for Microsoft and at 343 Industries, but in a more, you'd, you'd been a producer at Konami, but now you're a, sort of a creative director. That is a big role on one of the biggest, on their biggest franchise. That's insane. Uh, and the first, well, not the first game, but the first mainline game that 343 uh, were doing, which was Halo 4. Tell me, how, how did that come about how how did you end up doing that right so i uh i still you know look back at that story at the story and think just how amazing it is that uh you know i was i did a, a lot of work at konami i was able to touch a lot of different things in the projects and uh, and i was able to somehow develop a name for myself uh, not really intentionally i mean i was doing a podcast kind of like you were doing like you're doing a podcast now yeah i must uh, mention it, you are you are also a fellow podcaster you have done quite a numerous podcasts over the years, uh, including one for Konami and Kojima-san as well, and now you're doing one for Camouflage, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, we have Camouflage Radio, and uh, yeah, back in the day, it all started with uh, with Ko- the Kojima Productions Report, uh, which started off as a challenge from Hideo, who said, look at my Japanese podcast. It is really popular, and I only have the country of Japan to market this thing to, based on the language, obviously. And the English-speaking country is so much, or the English-speaking world is so much bigger um, and here's a great opportunity for for for, the, for you and the and the studio and to be able to you know uh, extend extend the brand. So he really challenged me to uh, to do an English version of, of the podcast that he was doing, and uh, it became something of a competition over time. Um, but uh, it, things got you know it got incredible in terms of the amount of exposure that we got through that podcast. At, at one point, I think we were getting close to a hundred thousand downloads per week. 
Whoa! Please give Shaq, give me the, give me the keys to I know, uh, right? <laughs> such a thing. Ridiculous. I'm very happy ridiculous. with my uh, sort of listens a week and a month, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it's nothing on the scale of that. <laughs> in what in what I think that ended up doing though was that it ended up putting me in in the in the earbuds of a lot of people uh, around the world and uh, yeah, including people at Microsoft that when they saw that I left uh, Konami. Um, to yeah, take because, care of my mom. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because it was it's sort of it was big news at the time. You were like the you were the the the, the white face at Konami. I don't want to. I was yeah. You, of, you uh, were the gaijin. You were that. Not, guy. Not, yeah, not by design either. Uh, it's you know I I prefer to as you can see with how I how I go about things now and even how I went about things while I was at Microsoft. I was a little, I kind of prefer to be a little more in the background. Uh, but I was really put there on the front stage, like literally on the stage at times for game shows uh, to help promote Metal Gear and talk about it. So, um, but that what that did was, even though it made me uncomfortable and it's not why I joined the game industry, but it did, in fact, you know, lead to a lot of great opportunities for me in my career, including um, this this email that I got from a Microsoft recruiter, literally within an hour of the news hitting the internet that I was leaving Metal Gear to come back to the states um, to take care of my mother. Um, and uh, thankfully, she's she's fine uh, now. But uh, that was a kind of a scary time. And so, because being you know in the northwest area of the states, uh, that that job at Microsoft seemed really really alluring to me. And I went in there and interviewed, and and somehow got the job of, at at roughly what uh, what was I? Uh, I must have been 27 years old as a creative director in Halo 4, like one of the most expensive, biggest games that Microsoft Game Studios would ever produce. Ryan, you're making me cry. I'm, 20, I'm 27 in July, and I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Oh, no, you're doing just fine, man. You've got 56 of these uh, podcasts under your belt, too, which is pretty pretty impressive. That's incredible. And Rockstar That's incredible. Is no, knows no slouch either, obviously. So Thank you on. very much. That's an incredible responsibility, though, being the creative director on Microsoft's biggest franchise. Um, but... You know, you'd had years of being challenged by Kojima, which I can't imagine is an easy thing uh, to take on board. And you must have learned so much dealing with, obviously, the Japanese side of business, which I think is a little more, in my own experience, is a little more tough. Um, Everything has to be by the book and a little more strict and creatively also a little more more tough. More yeah, hours. more hours, expectations, and that sort of stuff. So maybe this was a little, especially with the stuff that was going on in your personal life, um, probably a little more freeing, um, even though it was such a big responsibility. You ended up being the sort of narrative designer as well for Halo 4, but that didn't quite work out, right? Correct, yeah. No, I um, I worked, I, I applied my Japanese work ethic uh, to the first two years uh, being on Halo 4. Um, starting off before the studio was even called 343 Industries. It was just me and about 10 other folks uh, that kind of the, who just started this this, this whole endeavor, um, knowing not even thinking at the time that the team would grow to the size that it would grow, or the budget would grow to the to the budget that it would, it would grow to. Uh, and I really um, I really uh, put everything I could into the into the project and really, really, I'm still to this day, I'm very proud of the work that we did uh, leading up into, um, what ended up being one of the worst days of my life, which was uh, being uh, put into a room and being told that I was going to be demoted. Uh, and that was a really hard day. Uh, and uh, that was going to be moved into more of a narrative director, narrative designer role. Um, that was kind of more of a facade than anything else because I wasn't really directing or designing much narrative at all after that point. Wh- and why why, um, why was that then? What Was it just the way you thought about where you wanted to take Halo and they thought about something, someone else being a better fit for what they wanted or was it like a, a personal thing? 
It's hard to say. I mean, Microsoft is, you know, famously a very political environment. Um, and when you're at, when you got games at this, that are a project that, that is like, have, that has this level of high stakes, uh, having a creative director who has never shipped the title at the, at this caliber, um, at that age, you know, obviously it was a risk for, for, for the company. Um, on the one hand, I did get really great reviews every time I was reviewed by my managers and I was getting positive reinforcement every time I was pushing and pushing and pushing for the game and growing the team and managing a huge, huge group. Uh, but on the, on the other side, you know, there was obviously deficiencies. Like I, uh, I was, I was pushing for a very different type of Halo experience, not one that I could really talk about now, but, uh, I was, I was emphatic about the fact that I think that I thought that the, the series really needed to evolve and it couldn't it shouldn't just be a halo 3.5 or a halo 4 it needed to be something beyond that and we needed to do something a little more forward thinking yeah and i think i had the i had most of the team on my side on that one uh, but again when the realities of the project or the schedule um kind of come, come come to face like they i was the one that that took a that took took a lot of the blame for it and i think some of it was was uh was not was was not based on any kind of reality, and I think I took the fall for a lot of lot of problems with the overall for the project. Okay. But I think on the other side, I think that you know, again, I I don't think I was perfect by any means, and uh, wasn't as 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 well equipped politically or as uh, experience experientially to really uh, take the game to to ship. So it was a really hard day. So when was this sort of all going on? Was this before the announcement at E three? Um, yes. Okay, so this was all before it was even public knowledge about the game, and I can imagine that is really shitty, having worked for two years on something no one knows about, and then you're getting excited for maybe showing what you've been working on to people, and then you get that sort of gut punch um, about what's going on. Have you since played Halo 4, and can you see elements of what you were initially working on or designing in that game, or is it just like alien? Complete, no pun intended. Just completely different. <laughs> no, um, I, um, much to my surprise, even to, to this day, I ended up playing the game right after launch. Uh, I don't think I ever, I didn't expect to, but uh, a friend of mine uh, showed up at at, at camouflage uh, and brought brought a copy of the game over on launch day, which I thought was very nice of him. Uh, and I was also kind of sad that I never got a copy from. Like officially from the company, right? But that's that's not parting gift. Here. A parting yeah, it's, gift. Yeah, it's neither neither here nor there. So I ended up playing the game, and you know, by the time I had left the company, uh, the the campaign was more or less what it was going to be. Um, but there's a big part of the game that, I mean, all I re- all I usually say is that if you look at the game, you could see hints of what I was trying to do for like the more forward thinking, more risky endeavor, uh, and you, there's some remnants of it. But it's I can see it. Maybe other people can't see it. But uh, okay. And uh, the last thing I guess I'll say about it is that because again I don't want it to come across as that I was a victim or uh, that I'm, I'm I'm still upset. In fact, uh, there was people involved in that decision that I thought they did it. Uh, they were they handled it pretty poorly, and I thought that I was not. I thought it, it was just it could have been done handled a lot better. Yeah, um, and I held a lot of resentment for for some individuals for a very long time, uh, and even the thought of those people coming into my brain would just trigger like a really really negative emotion. Oh, uh, I know. But, I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah, but I. I but yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, no, please. You no, know, I just. So I sort of thinking back on times when I've had issues, uh, in various roles, that have brought up problems, and the idea or the memory of someone or the thought that triggers just the time and the the not the resentment, but the the sort of. Uh, yeah, there's that feeling. Yeah. You, uh, I know that you 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 feel too, right? And I just. 
I, I worked really hard and I was able to finally meet up with those folks and we do coffee and lunch now. And, and, uh, I think, I think now that time has passed, like, you know, all has been forgiven. And uh, <laughs> you I think just I'm, said that I, like, I'm the head of my own studio. I raise a million dollars of I don't need you. I, I wish, I wish that was the case. I wish that was the case. I'm a lot poorer now than I ever, ever was when I was at Microsoft. But I think it was important for me to look, look and see that from the other perspective and realizing that if I was in, in the position of leadership at Microsoft, I think you can make a very good case. In fact, that maybe we, maybe the team shouldn't have even made Halo 4. Maybe that was even too risky is that maybe the team should have made Halo anniversary collection, remade the first Halo as a first, uh, as a first um, project, as a, as a brand new team that's never shipped anything together. Uh, now, that now I think time has made me a little bit wiser. I think I look back and realize that what I was trying to create was so crazy ambitious that it was kind of dumb. Um, and I think you look uh, at a game like, and it's very similar to how the, how the Bioshock 2 guys uh, started off too. They wanted to do something crazy and ambitious as well, but they were a new team that never shipped, shipped anything ever again. And they kind of went back and, and shipped that something that was a little more akin to the first title. So those are, you know, the lessons learned over time, you know, just one of those where your ambition and scope is way bigger than the budget or what the initial timeline is and all that kind of thing. And just doesn't plan out. And yeah. Well, that's fine because you have chosen Halo I mean, it must not trigger too many memories anymore. You, you're no, it's, taking no, it's, it's funny now. It's all positive. Uh, uh, I, I and I love. I have a really great, great relationship with the Bungie folks, and so I just I'm I, I love the franchise even to this day, even after going going through a lot of traumatic experiences, and I'm still friends with the guys on the team over at Three for Three, and I'm really excited to to play their next thing too. So yeah, it's, everything's all good. Excellent. Well, you are going to take Halo with you. And um, I, I imagine while we're still on the sort of subject of Microsoft and leaving Microsoft then, before we move on to your next game, then I would do want to talk a little bit about you starting your own studio. Sure. Um, and sort of after having all this stuff happen at Microsoft and having all these ideas of the way you wanted to push it forward, I can imagine in your head you were like, <laughs> it's the old Bart Simpson uh, not Bart Simpson joke, the uh, the Bender joke where he's going to like just, I'm going to make my own casino. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my own stuff and I'm going to just do whatever I like. And I imagine starting your own studio, that was sort of the mindset. Like, okay, fine. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. Was that sort of yeah, what was going on? It's, I mean, to be honest, I think when I started Camouflage, it was a reaction to what I didn't enjoy or what I didn't want to do based on what I, the experience I was able to gather at Konami and at Microsoft, but that I wanted to do something that was a little more inclusive, a little more collaborative, um, and actually do something that was um, more, funny enough, uh, a lot more scoped and more reasonable at the time. Uh, so uh, when we, within the first weeks of starting Camouflage, I end up, um, it all connects all together, but I end up pitching our first game, Republic, to, to Bungie. Because Bungie had started a for a very short amount of time, they had a mobile or they had a mobile publishing arm called Bungie Aerospace, and they were very interested in seeing that what you know I was going to do with a small team and what kind of mobile game we wanted to make and the story driven thing called Republic. It's all very strange, and um, and I I ended up uh, pitching the game to them. They gave me some feedback that actually led to the game kind of growing in scope and scale. And but I, I always wanted to kind of retain, and I still do this to this day now that we've been around for about six years is I just want to do something that was meaningful. And I wanted to do that on, on Halo 4 as well. 
and I, that's that's something that's always like inspired me about Metal Gear as well is that no matter whether we make a big game or a small game, the, the mo- number one thing that's important to me um, at Camouflage is that whatever we create, we're doing something that hopefully touches people, hopefully like inspires them or has them think about a topic in a, yeah. in a deeper kind of way than they normally would for most kind of entertainment. Okay. So that's sort of the idea of the way you make games is sort of, I imagine when you were in your role, I could... Konami, you didn't really have much room to think about stuff like that. It obviously, is all sort of Kojima-san and, and, and the other Japanese producers. And then you got a taste of it when you were working at Halo, but it, di- it obviously didn't pan out that way. Mm-hmm. And this was like finally the time where you're like, okay, this is my idea of how to design games, and I want to show people, and I want to do this, and I think it's really important that we go forward and make this project. Um, and it's funny because it. it you said you're like you sort of left Bungie. It seems like you had the idea for Republic for quite a long time um, going forward, and it was very like almost like a quick turnaround from leaving Microsoft to forming Camouflage and then starting on Republic. Yeah, it's a, it was an idea that I had had, knowing that I was gonna about to leave Microsoft. But the idea really did evolve after I pitched the game to Bungie because they. <laughs> They really encouraged me to think beyond just like the initial kernel of the idea, uh, but to do more action and have a 30 seconds of fun loop is something that's like classic Bungie. Uh, and then the game really started to take to take shape. And I, I didn't waste any time. I kind of, I was in that really bad purgatory-like state for that last year while I was at Microsoft. So if anything, I was, well, I, I took a screenwriting class, um, a certificate course at University of Washington. I, uh, you know, kind of recharged my batteries and got yeah. ready to to start my own thing. And I just hit the ground running with a great group of individuals. And and yeah, and and didn't take it much much time before we did our Kickstarter. I think it was probably maybe seven months or seven eight months before we just like kick, did the Kickstarter. Yeah, like in video game terms, that's really bloody quick. That's a very very quick yeah. turnaround yeah, we time. Were, we were fast, and, um, crunching hardcore. Yeah, crunching alcohol. Oh, God, send shivers down my spine. Um, <laughs> but obviously, we're here now talking about it, and you have shipped Republic across multiple platforms, including PlayStation. I've heard that you're going to be making a Nintendo Switch version as well. Uh, that's the internet rumors. Uh, internet rumors, I, yeah. Yeah, there's no there's no plans right now to make a Switch version. I think the okay. only thing that I had said publicly is that I loved it. I would love to make a Switch version. But. Okay. So next year, Republic Switch. Conf- no, I'm joking. It's- I know. <laughs> it, would be, it would be nice. It would be but nice. it's an example of the fact that Republic, having been a Kickstarter from a new studio, has been success across multiple platforms, and you are now able, in a position to be able to consider these things, which is really great to hear. Mm, but I think it's you. about time now. You're going to take yes. Halo with you, so you can shoot your way through... Lots of a- aliens for the rest of your time on the island, but we're going to talk a little bit now about your second game and also the island that the you're going to be itself. trapped on. The island itself that we're going to banish you on. And we spoke a little bit about this island beforehand, um, so we're sort of all, all looping back in. So why don't we listen to some music for this next game? And let's, of course, as always, dive straight into it. Silence through the night What a thrill I'm searching and I'll melt into you What a fear in my heart 
So Ryan, before we talk about your second game, we have to talk about the island in which we are going to banish you. And for anyone who doesn't know, the way we do this is that we're going to send Ryan to an island that has no no one there. It's a video game island from a video game world. It can be anywhere. Uh, it could be from any series. And the rule is that there is no NPCs, no one who can help you, but... If there are enemies or people who want to hurt you or monsters, those kind of things that would be part of the wildlife almost, uh, they're going to be there. So you have to consider that. And Ryan, uniquely, we're going to go back to the, the game we just spoke about, being Halo, um, and talk about the island we're going to banish you. So Ryan, please tell me where it is I'm going to be sending you at the <laughs> end of this. Well, it's funny, Liam, yeah, when, when, when you're talking about this concept, and I was listening to some of your previous shows with like Steve Gaynor or Jake Castle and... Uh, it's funny when I when you first brought that up with the with, with the other guest, the the first island that came to my mind was was the island from Halo, the and the for, the fourth mission, the silent cartographer. Uh, I just like that to me is like the quintessential video game island. Um, it might not be the best place to live because I think there's some creatures crawling around uh, underneath. Um, but uh, still, I think it's just it seems very picturesque when you first uh, you know see that shot when you're coming in from the Pelican and then landing on the beach. Um, I you know and you have your your warthog there. I don't know if. Uh, if that's going to still be there when, we'll, I, when I show yeah, up. We'll allow you the warthog. That's fine. I'll, so I'll be able to, to, to drive around a gas-guzzling, um, futuristic uh, warthog <laughs> uh, Jeep and do a bunch of tricks uh, like I used to do when um, you know, I was with my friends and stuff like that, playing the game on co-op. So to me, it's a, though, it's a beautiful place. Unfortunately, you don't have Spartan armor. So if you roll it over, because the, yes, yeah, the warthog so. controls are terrible. If, if you do, you're going you're gonna to snap your neck. So... I'd be careful. I'd be careful about the trick. The trick. Uh, yeah, I should be pretty careful. Yeah, but I'll, I'll try to enjoy the scenery while while I can. <laughs> so we're going to be sending you there at the end of this, uh, which is um, going to yeah, going to be very beautiful. One thing I've always really enjoyed about Halo is the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. I'm such a sucker for the Halo aesthetic. The the world, the sci-fi, almost kind of oh, like it's the best man. It's not. I don't. I don't want to call it cliche because it isn't cliche it looks like halo it doesn't look like other things like when you look at it it's like that's halo halo defined its own but almost cartoony way it's not serious looking i don't think it's bright Mm -hmm. it's colorful it does seem very cartoony it's not like a to compare it to like the uh the call of duty that was in space the one last year yeah yeah infinite warfare infinite warfare like that's when i feel like if you're going to do like a serious Mm-hmm. sci-fi shooter that's what it would look like or like dead space or something like that so halo definitely has this sort of cartoony almost star trekky vibe to it i think very bright very colorful um but definitely looks like halo and that aesthetic is is very nice i really do enjoy that um so we're going to be sending you there with this next game the second game on your list which i believe is a very very personal game to you um it is your favorite game of all time but the version in which you actually worked on. So the game you've chosen is, of course, developed by Konami and Kojima Productions, designed and directed by the one Hideo Kojima. Um, it released originally back on the PlayStation 2 uh, in Japan and worldwide, but then had a second version 
released called Subsist. Can't even say it. Substance and <laughs> subsistence. I can't even talk today. My cold is destroying my yeah, vocal sorry cords. About that. No, it's okay. And it's an expanded release of the original Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater uh, with new features, including a new camera angle, um, which I think some people who played MGS Three and even MGS Two back in the day were very thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the first incarnation of Metal Gear Online, which unfortunately is discontinued now, but was amazing at the time. Yeah, uh, Ryan, this is the version. I imagine this is the first game you worked on at Koji Pro. Yes, um, this is this is that is correct, and it was, it was very close to the end of the production of it. Okay, how how was it then? Uh, obviously, you're going to take it to your, uh, the island, and we'll we'll get to that. I'm very interested because all your games sort of tie into your career, which I do really enjoy. Um, how was it sort of? Being okay, like the whole oh god, I've moved to America now. I'm going back to Konami and now. I have to do all this, and then once that all settles down, that they tell you what the game you're going to be working on, and they're like, oh yeah, you're going to be working on this updated version of Metal Gear Solid Three, and you're like, wait, what? My favorite game of all time. I'm going to be working on that. <laughs> That's yeah, crazy. That was, that was definitely part of the excitement of joining. Uh, it, the game was actually announced at E3. Was where I was interviewing Hideo about. I was actually interviewing him. That's how I got the job. I was interviewing him about subsistence. <laughs> uh, and so, but when they were when I got the job and they told me to hurry up and get to get to Japan, uh, I wanted to get there as soon as possible because I wanted to help out in any way or just play the build and see where the state that it was in. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, the first day that I was there, I remember um, Hideo. Asking me, like bringing me into the to the trailer bay, not to look at subsistence, which also had a great trailer from that that, that Tokyo game show, uh, but showing me the first real trailer from Metal Gear Solid Four, uh, and asking me what I thought of it. So that was um, that was going to be the game that I would spend the most time on. But yeah, uh, one of the great things that affordances I had um, working at, at Kojima Productions was that I was able to 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 get my hands in all sorts of projects, whether it was subsistence or Metal Gear Acid Two. And then it would go on to uh, the Lunar Night game, like the Boktai game, and then also obviously Metal Gear Solid 4, but also uh, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. I, um, you know, it's not an exaggeration. I had a lot of work and a lot of you know time and effort put into all of those titles, which I again I'm very thankful for because they didn't. Nobody told me I couldn't, and so you know I, it's crazy I was, as well because yeah. being someone who'd who I'm someone who's only worked on two games in the space of three years. You worked on like seven eight games mm-hmm. in the space of three years that workload is is a lot I and i <laughs> love every minute of it i, I love every minute imagine. um which is so great and that's so great obviously you are a huge fan of the Metal Gear franchise um and being able to be a part of that i always wonder because i always you know you have the daydreams about like working at nintendo for me mm-hmm. and, oh, and having a hand in that and i'm like why would i personally want to touch that and potentially ruin it when i enjoy it <laughs> It's well, so much it's, of what other people do. I know, I know, I know that feeling, and that's where I think with Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence, it was more of the reverence that I was I, I held, and and also I didn't have much concerns about after I played the build. I thought, okay, this is this is fantastic, and there's no, I'm not going to get in the middle of this one. This is this is this is fine. Um, the game that desperately needed help that really elevated my career, however, was Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops, which was the PSP title. Yeah, um, that game was not in a good state. Ooh, and okay. Even if I, you know, me as an inexperienced guy, I thought, look, even if I, I don't know what I'm going to do to it, but I'm assuming whatever I do is going to be a net positive. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think looking back, it definitely was. Uh, I think I, I think I was able to help out that project a lot. Yeah, that game turned out really well. It's very, very different for the franchise and sort of, you know, expanding upon the whole big boss. It was like the start of expanding upon the big boss sort of storyline, which 
essentially became well, probably the biggest part. I mean, if you think about Solid Snake himself, he's mm-hmm. he's literally only in two of the games, whereas Big Boss is across m- multiple yeah. games, and yeah, his story games. is the one that has the most, you know, going from hero to being seemingly a villain and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, you were very, you were right there at the beginning of this sort of expansion upon what became one of the biggest parts of the whole franchise. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Metal Gear Solid 3. And yes, you, please. you obviously came in as a fan and uh, luckily not having to touch it too much. So it wasn't spoiled for you. It was still sort of new and free. Um, f- first, tell me, why are you taking the updated version um, over the original version? And then also, please tell me why. It's your mm-hmm. favorite game of all time, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, I think, as you mentioned, uh, the, the new 3D camera that they added to Subsistence was uh, as, as, was essential, right? The, I, I felt, even though I loved Snake Eater at the time when I played it, I, the cam- I was struggling with the camera the entire time. And so playing the game uh, with Subsistence, uh, that, that, was, that was like the ultimate kind of manifestation of what I was hoping to get out of the, out of the franchise. There was a couple of bug fixes there. Uh, but yeah, it's just, um, and then just, just the overall aesthetic of the game, the story... Um, I, I really, I had this theory going into, well, while I was at Konami at least, was that there's kind of an ebb and flow when it comes to the Metal Gear Solid series. There's uh, there's Hideo when he's a little bit more restrained, and then there's Hideo when he's got, when he's like, you know, riding high and everything is possible. Um, <laughs> and uh, I look at MGS2 and MGS4 as like those ones where the story really kind of smothers the gameplay. Okay. Um, and I think it look as one and one and three and five have a little bit better of balance. And I really look back at the series, and I still believe that three was the ultimate um, combination of really great stealth mechanics, really cool, unique ideas that were very ahead of its time, like the survival mechanics, um, and then having that integrated into a story in the in my favorite setting you could possibly set a video game in, which is the Cold War. And I'm a huge Cold War nut, and I'm reminded of myself that like I'm reminded that I'm like getting older because I go to bed even like in this past week I go to bed like watching cold war documentaries i mean i've already gotten so i'm not even in my 40s and i'm already doing these kinds of things but yeah it's it just the game speaks to me on so many so many levels i'm very much a fan of that sort of cold i'm a huge james bond fan so mm-hmm. um when mgs3 came out and uh, you heard the snake eater theme for the first time it was like oh my god they've made like a james bond game um, right. Just with this quirky Japanese touch on it, which I've always adored being a fan of Japanese games. So it was like playing a Japanese version of a James Bond. Yeah, very and much so. It immediately became one of my favorite games of all time as well. And oh, great. I absolutely adore that game. Um, I'm very interested to know then, uh, in terms of MGS3 being you know your favorite game of all time, there are, there are many reasons as to why. It, obviously, it has that Cold War set, setting as well. But... How do you compare it to, you know, the game you worked on being MGS4 and MGS4 being this spectacle, even though mm-hmm. it's hard to sort of put into words that MGS3 was this big game, but the cutscenes and stuff were shorter and the story was a little more self-contained, whereas MGS4 was this globetrotting mm-hmm. bonanza of movie length cutscenes and stuff like that. I know people say that. I'm a huge fan of MGS4. I'm actually... I really, really, really like that game. Um, oh, but how, how, how does it compare to you, the, the transition between the two? Hmm. Well, I mean, I remember leading up, so we obviously worked very, very, very hard on MGS4. It, would, 
it, it almost killed us, right? In terms of you know the delays and the and the hard work and the hours and uh, in a lot of ways, I'm really proud of. I'm proud of my work on it. Um, I would I know be incredibly a, proud of that game. Yeah, and, I, and I, incredible. And you know, but from the gameplay perspective, I always thought the whole time I thought it was it was very deficient um, and very lacking. And it, I was really terrified leading up to launch that the game was going to get reviewed very very poorly. Um, and the game came in very late too, in terms of the the gameplay kind of coming together. And so. You know, again, as a fan of Metal Gear Solid Three, you know, working on Metal Gear Solid Four is a dream come true in a lot of ways. But um, again, I was very nervous about the the pendulum had swung back over to and like, as you said, kind of this extravagant uh, spectacle uh, of story and non interactive cinematics for the most part. Um, and that, looking back at the game too, I just like it's a hard game for me to return to. Um, because you know, once you've seen these cinematics, once you've kind of seen them all, yeah, um, it, it's and, hard to sit through a twenty-minute cutscene when you've seen it at, at like five or ten, right. five or six times in development. So exactly, uh, <laughs> or more than that, and, and yeah. also and being very self-referential, and it was a good learning lesson. So I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm sorry for being so a little bit more negative on Metal Gear Solid Four than maybe you expect, but uh, again, no. again, I'm proud of it. But I think that it was also a good learning lesson in that you don't have to. You don't have to appease the fans with everything. In fact, if you do answer all the questions, all you kind of left, all you kind of left doing is 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 um is kind of disappointing the fans or leaving them no room to grow or to or, or well, more for areas for them to get excited about. You're just closing the book, aren't you? Really, you've got no other a- avenues to go down. There's nothing anyone wants to know or anyone is intrigued in. You've just you've just closed the book shut and that's it. And um, although I do like MGS4 and it was kind of. I bought a PlayStation 3 and MGS4 together. Oh, nice. And I'd, I'd, I could go on about the story about how I got the PlayStation 3 in the most terrible way, um, mm. but I'll save that for another day. Um, <laughs> I didn't steal it before anyone thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> good, I just good. tricked my mother into doing something terrible, which was taking out like a, a small loan to buy a PlayStation 3 at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was like, you have to save... You have to save your money before you can buy it. And I was like, fuck that. MGS4 is <laughs> out. I want to play that game. So I took out a small loan. Like, you no know, kidding. one of those buy, pay later things when you go to like, sure. electronic stores? Yeah, I did that. But I was only like 16 at the time. So it was probably. Yeah, you got to do game. what you got to do. I got it. I did what I did. I tricked her. I had the receipt and I just pretend I bought it and all that kind of stuff. Um, hey, we've, we've all done things like that. We've that all done stuff like that. But it was worth it because I got MGS4 and. I loved it. It was incredible graphically and just amazing. But what I, the reason I ask about this sort of comparison is because um, there is sort of a, a, a like a, a, an interview with you and David Cage from E3 oh, yes. uh, when Shenmue got uh, Shenmue Three got announced, and the conversation between you two as creators and designers and uh, about storytelling. And mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued because I felt like maybe MGS Four was what you were um, in terms of like storytelling. Obviously, Kojima had designed the whole thing and and writes it, but it, it was more focused on story over gameplay compared to MGS three. So I thought maybe you personally were enjoying that aspect of it. But it's it's uh, interesting to hear you say that the gameplay sort of got put to the wayside instead. Considering mm. I've heard your thoughts on story in video games, right? You know, I'm, I'm you know, it is, for the record, I'm a big fan of Heavy Rain and. Uh, it's one of my one of my favorite games. It was my favorite game, I think, of two thousand ten when it came out. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, 
but I like the interactivity of it. I thought that was doing something unique and fresh. And then, but it's on the other side, it's just, again, the whole idea of like sitting through cutscenes. Um, you know, once yeah. you do it once, it's, it's, it's really <laughs> tough to do that. So do you yeah, reckon you just, would have enjoyed it more as a, do you reckon you would have enjoyed it more as an MGS fan if you'd not worked on it? Or do you think that the way MGS4 turned out anyway, you would have been disappointed having been such a fan of three? Hmm. You know, I think I probably would have been disappointed by it uh, because, and I, I think I, I'm a lot, I'm, a, I'm, I'm similar to a lot of the fans as well, where I think they look back and it had a bad, it had a, I think a nasty backlash after um, X amount of time had passed after the game had, had, had launched. Uh, actually, GTA 4 went through a similar thing where it reviewed very, very well. And then after some time, I, the fans kind of came back and said, you know what, yeah. this isn't actually as good as San Andreas. Or, yeah. and so it's very similar in a lot of ways. And, I, and I, I think I would be one of those annoying guys on the internet if I wasn't in the game industry, you know, saying like, <laughs> MGS 4 is not as good as MGS 3. And I, I would yeah. be part of that, that, that choir, you know. It's really funny. There are a few games like that I've come to notice. Like Bioshock Infinite is the one that stands out for me the most mm-hmm. in recent times. Yeah, that's times. another like, one like that. When that game came out, it was like the, the hottest shit in the world. It was like yep. everyone loved it. I still do. I actually really, really like that game. Um, wow, I'm weird. I like MGS4 and uh, Bioshock Infinite. I've just yeah, realized there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, I'm very strange. Um, but yeah, and now everyone talks about it. It's like, oh, some people go as far as to say Bioshock 2 is better. And I'm just like, come on. <laughs> don't be silly now but you no know, i absolutely do get that although i think personally mgs3 has always been the best in the series i think a lot of people thought even when four reviewed so well that mgs3 was just an incredibly special game yeah i think it was the inverse almost of what four went through i think three didn't actually review as strongly as four in fact i know so uh, but then over time i think people started to appreciate it more and I think subsistence actually helped a lot in that as well, like to kind of solidify it and get. Oh, this is the version that we really, really wanted. Yeah, which is really interesting in this this realm now of remasters and re-updates of um, uh, like uh, Final Fantasy XII is about to relaunch now. Mm-hmm. That's and, a, another good example. Yeah, it's a good example of a game that no one likes supposedly. And now everyone's talking about it like, well, maybe we misunderstood at the time and mm-hmm. maybe it's better than we thought it is. And this is the the actual version, which I do understand because it's a different version. It's the Zodiac edition, which is different. But it is funny how we go through these weird phases in the games industry of, oh, this is the greatest game ever. And then six months later, ah, it was not as good as the previous game or that was not as good as we thought it was. Right. Yeah. Which is really sure. interesting. <laughs> especially yeah, when it's it. Especially when it's like, your game like the game that you was like the one that not put you on the map but was like the biggest project you'd worked on so far i can imagine you want it to be as good even as a fan of the series you want it to be as good as it possibly can be and i imagine working with kojima-san was also a special thing and very interesting but also at times maybe a little grating Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it. Like, yeah, you could. That'd be no surprise to anybody, right? But uh, I really enjoyed working with him, and uh, you know, I'm very, very grateful that uh, he gave me the opportunity, and and he was very gracious when I left the company, um, and uh, and so yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I, I look back at those those years that I was at Konami very fondly, um, even though the, the the hours were really long, and I put everything I possibly could into that game, and like I said, I'm still very proud of MGS4. I just don't think it's as solid of his game. Uh, Apologies for the pun, um, as MGS3. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and I and I, I look at I look back at those that time very fondly. Excellent. Well, it's not MGS4 you're going to be taking with you. It is indeed MGS3. So you can in you can revel in that Cold War aesthetic. Oh, I love and, it. 
and um, all day, every day. Pretend you're watching the documentaries when you go to bed. Oh, so get, well, they got some good documentary footage in there from uh, Getty. Well, there you go. You can uh, play that and uh, sort of live out your own Cold War fantasies <laughs> with yeah. you on your <laughs> Sounds island good to me. while you're driving your warthog around. Um, That's right. But we are going to move on now to your third game, and we have spoken very in-depthly about your career, so I think it's only fair now that we start talking about the games that you have chosen as a fan and also as someone who loves video games and why specifically you have chosen them a little more. So let's jump into this next game. Uh, it's a it's a fan favorite of Final Games. It has been chosen quite a few times now and for good reason, for good reason. So let's listen to some music and, of course, dive straight into it. on Ryan's list is a game that has featured on Final Games, as I said, multiple times. It was developed by the one and only From Software, published by Namco over here in the West, directed, of course, by Miyazaki Hidetaki. It released on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in September of 2011. It is the sequel to Demon Souls. It is, of course, Prepare to Die, Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Ryan, please tell me why the third game on your list is Dark Souls. I love this game so much. <laughs> it's just as easy as that, really, isn't it? I love this game so much. It was so impactful to me when I played the game and so transforming that, in fact, I kind of think it changed my brain like in a really weird, good and bad way where when I was playing it and not, especially when I was not playing it, I was thinking about it and just my, it felt like my whole perception on the industry and how games could work it was my, my horizons were just so much more broad after i had played played through it and i have a very distinct memory of uh flying down to los angeles with my with my brother uh, we were gonna go see a couple shows um and and the poor my poor brother had to listen to me talk about dark souls for a good two days as we drove around los angeles went to some shows and just i just remember that that time so distinctly because I don't usually do that. I don't usually just gush over a game like I did with Dark Souls, but yeah, it just it was just so such a such a pivotal experience for me, not only as a fan of games, but also as I think about game design or production or creative and all that. So, what specifically was it about Dark Souls then? Uh, having been someone who'd worked in the industry for a long time by this point, especially the Japanese side of things, uh, seeing a game come from Japan and then all of a sudden just blow up. Um, had you played Demon Souls prior? Had you sort of seen in, an insight into why the series was special, or was it this just Dark Souls came out of nowhere for you, like it did for many people, and and all of a sudden you just found yourself like nonstop thinking about it? 
Right. I think it's it was a culmination of of, of several things, and one of them was that uh, was just the idea of this game coming out of from software. Um, and sorry to bring it back to my career for a second, but no, I no, absolutely. I did Please a, go ahead. I wrote a feature about. Uh, about uh, Metal Wolf Chaos, actually, when I was at Xbox Nation and, and visited from software and and saw that you know they had some really talented talented developers and what they did with Otogi and uh, but they also had some real stinkers too uh, and which we don't have to name and I'm just thinking about this game that all of a sudden this Demon Souls game comes out and people are talking about it and Gamespot gives it Game of the Year and um, they have some interesting mechanics and I remember playing it and thinking wow this thing is pretty rough around the edges but I really like that mechanic like the whole um, kind of uh, for lack of a better analogy, like the ironing can't concept of you get a little further and then you go back and then you go a little further than you did before and then you go back to the source and you go, you know, kind of like ironing out like the, the map. I thought yeah. it was a really interesting concept and what they were doing with online was also very inventive. Um, and I remember having a conversation with a developer at Microsoft at the time when I was playing Demon Souls and and he was telling me how he didn't know how, how from, he, he couldn't understand how from software was doing what they were doing because they were doing more advanced kind of meta um, online features, um, like the world tendency or, or having players kind of join one another or invading their other games, that they were doing these things with a much, much smaller team compared to what Fable 2 was doing and how impressed they were and like how they couldn't figure it out, right? And I remember thinking, well, this, guy, this From Software guys are kind of doing something special. And so when Dark Souls came out, it was, it was really like the... The sequel that the the game well it's not officially a sequel but like it was like the second draft of a, of that idea that was a lot more cohesive uh, and um, the reason I, I put it I want to take it to a deserted island though is that even though I've plugged in probably over two hundred hours into Dark Souls I feel like I still haven't understood I feel like I just scratched the surface in terms of understanding all of its mechanics all of its secrets with the story uh, I could just see myself just spending days and days or weeks and weeks just kind of looking in every single nook and cranny trying different builds. Uh, yeah, this is, it would just be so much fun. It's, it is a game that offers incredible replayability. And even, as you said, even if you plug like the, the 200 hours into this game, it's still a game that... I, I don't know whether it is the combat or the world itself, but the idea of just experimenting and a boss that you've defeated like 10 times already, just the idea of beating that boss again, but with like a weapon you never, ever thought you could use is mm-hmm. still so satisfying and I don't know many other games that offer that sort of satisfaction like Dark Souls or the Dark Souls series does. Um, yeah. It's I, I think very, right, very Liam. special. And and I think the it's the satisfaction of it is really the key word. And it's not the difficulty. I think a lot of people really conflate these two things where right as the time I was getting into Dark Souls and telling everybody I know about how amazing it is. I would get people telling me like, hey, you should be playing, so you must be playing like Super Meat Boy, right? And like, well, no, I'm not. And like, well, you like hard games. Well, no, I I, I think that the hard, the, the difficulty of, of Dark Souls is part of that, that magical formula because there's like, there's, there's difficult parts, but there's also payoffs, right? Uh, and it's not just a completely brutal game from start to finish. They have its kind of peaks and valleys. Um, and I think another reason why this game really connected with me is because I had played it right as I had left Microsoft and I was starting Camouflage and I was I was coming out of a company like Microsoft that was really going through a lot of transformations when it came to Xbox and how they're thinking about gaming. And over the three years that I was there, they had really shifted their thinking in terms of, and this is heavily in, in, inspired or influenced by what Nintendo was doing with the Wii, it was that maybe games are too hardcore. Maybe we should move into, this is obviously like around the time of the Kinect as well, 
Where, okay. Uh, Fable 2, where it had the breadcrumb feature, which could, should just show you exactly where your next objective is. That games were... We were there was a lot of meetings and not, it was not just Microsoft. There was a lot of other places within the industry that was moving more towards we need to be more broad or we need more casual. And casual mobile games and gaming is starting to pick up around this time. And right in that kind of new this new this brave new world of you know uh, <laughs> like uh, padded rooms and nobody's a, nobody's a loser, everybody's a winner. Dark Souls just shows up and is like, <laughs> no, you are going to get smashed to pieces and you're going to like it. When people aren't dying in Kirby's epic yarn, yeah, exactly. uh, it, it gets too much and all of a sudden the games industry gleams this light of Dark Souls. But it's weird because friends who I know who won't play games like Mega Man or uh, you know Super Meat Boy and stuff like that, games that are no- <laughs> notoriously difficult or are aimed to be challenging, I think mm-hmm. that's the correct way to put it. I don't think difficulty... Difficulty is a, is a weird thing because like a difficulty in RPG is just unfair. It just cranks everything up so you have to, you have to really think about it. it. You have to grind your way through it. That, that, that's not like challenging, that's just mm-hmm. unfair. But these games are specifically built to be a challenge and, and they are completely... You are able to overcome them. They are built to be overcome. It's just correct. time and your skill personally growing but from the outset they do seem difficult because they aren't the games that you can pick up and play immediately and make progress the games you get beaten down over and over mm-hmm. again but you like you rise above it and you, and you rise to the challenge and, and you overcome it and Dark Souls is one of those games it's not difficult it's a challenge which means I saw some friends who wouldn't play difficult games pick up Dark Souls and just immediately get caught in the gameplay mm-hmm. loop and these guys were way better than I am. And they were like finishing Dark Souls. They were like fighting Gwyn with like the, the Wanderer. They'd gone through the whole game with no clothes and no armor. And, and they're just doing some crazy stuff just because like the challenge, once you get used to it, um, you become better. It, yes. It's just like anything, right? It, it, anything when you start out. And they were fantastic. And, and it wasn't because Dark Souls was like a difficult game. It was just a challenge that... When you gave it time and you gave it your attention, it was something you could overcome. And I think that's what makes that game so special. Um, And I can see why taking it with you to an island would make a lot of sense. Um, It's it's still an RPG, so it has an ending, um, just like things. It's not like Halo, where you can play multiple matches and they all have various outcomes. But it does have an immense amount of replayability for a game that does have an ending. Um, so it seems like a very smart choice, right? <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. No, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to to really building upon my two hour, 200 hours of, uh, of Dark Souls and, and seeing what else I can find. What would be like the first build? What, what, it, what do you have in your head as the like, okay, now I have plenty of time to experiment. I'm going to do this crazy thing that I've not done yet. You know, I always, uh, you know, the, the, my first time through it, I played as a as a sorcerer and kind of like cheese my way through it by kind of sniping guys with with magical powers. Um, and this time around, I think I go full full melee and and see how, see how I fare. Full melee, just big 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 broadsword, go the whole berserk guts style. Yeah, I would. I, would, I think that'd be fun. I'm not ready to do the uh, the depraved like naked run yet. I need a couple of more. Oh, the New depraved, yeah, that, yeah, that's the one. It's called depraved, not wanderer. <laughs> that's why he was saying <laughs> depraved. Yeah, well, you'll you've got plenty of time. I've got plenty, plenty of time, time. and I'm gonna you take. Got, I'm just gonna take it slow. Just take it slow. You'll get there eventually. As I said, it's a challenge. 
and one day you'll meet up with that challenge and go face to face with it <laughs> and take it on. Um, but the next game, we're gonna have to talk about that now as well. It's a bit of a departure from the games we have spoken about. I, it's a game. I, it's uh, the only game on this list I've never played. Um, oh no kidding! Wow, and. It's interesting that you bring it up because now anyone can play it who owns an Xbox One. It's, uh, I think, free to play now on Xbox One. You can download it. Um, so I'm very interested to hear. I imagine it comes around the time when you were working as a correspondent. Yes, that was, this is correct. Around that time. So I'm intrigued to hear why you've chosen this game. So let's listen to some music from this game, which I'm very interested to hear because I've never heard anything from this game. So I hope the music is good. So let's listen to the music and let's dive straight into it. Next game on Ryan's list is a, a sort of action strategy video game um, that was developed by Microsoft Game Studios as a first-party game and published, um, I think, by Majesco Entertainment, which is very strange why Microsoft <laughs> didn't publish it themselves. Um, in Japan, they published it as Microsoft Game Studios. Uh, it was de- it was developed by Japanese developers, directed by Yukio uh, Futsugi and. It released for the Xbox in Japan in September of 2004 and uh, in March of 2005 in North America. It's, of course, for some reason, the first time it's ever appeared on the show as well, Phantom Dust. Ryan, a very unique choice. Oh, yes, I think, <laughs> I think, I think. So why, why is Phantom Dust on your coveted eight slots? Why does this take one of them? Right, so the first four games uh, are, like I kind of said, like uh, games that are kind of from my, my past, and I think they really heavily influenced me. I have very fond memories of all these games, including Phantom Dust, and so even when I load up the game that just, again, they just, Microsoft just re-released the game onto Xbox and Windows 10, uh, that it brings back this flood of memories of me being in rural Japan, covering the Xbox in Japan beat. Um, this was my game. This was the game that uh, I... I covered a lot that um, a lot of my editors um, across the world, not just from Ziff, but other places that I was writing articles for, they were all very interested in Phantom Dust. And um, as a, so I, I covered it as a, as a journalist and it was, uh, it was a good, it was a good beat for me. Uh, and then I hit this, had this kind of existential crisis with the game because then it was, came around the time to review it. And I was interested in the game. I thought it was kind of cool. It's got this kind of Blade Runner, cyberpunk aesthetic plus um, kind of Dragon Ball inspired like fisticuffs and like kind of exaggerated um, you know, melee and some kind of uh, energy um, uh, uh, abilities. And then that was all all kind of coupled together in this like four player 
brawler, online brawler um, that used um, a Magic the Gathering inspired or Hearthstone now um, deck building concept. Yeah, because you uh, collected I, cards in the game, right? Yeah, you collect, the, they call them skills, but yeah, they're essentially cards and you, you put them into a arsenal, which is essentially a deck. Um, and you can bring in 30 skills into your deck and you can bring that into the game and then they kind of spawn randomly like they do in Magic and you have like the equivalent of mana and all of that. And I, growing up in high school, I was a big, I was a big Magic the Gathering fan and, um, and this, really, this really hit me on a lot of different levels in terms of like, again, the aesthetic and the action and Yukio Futatsugi and in his weird, you know, post-apocalyptic uh, worlds that he creates, not just for this game, but for fan, uh, for Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, because uh, Saturn. Yeah, he, uh, Futatsugi-san was the director of Panzer Dragoon as well, wasn't he? Yeah, so which is another great, great game. So I, the, and back to the existential crisis, though, I'm like covering this game. I think it's pretty <laughs> interesting, but I start reviewing it and I think, wait a second, I think I love this game, um, but am I? Do I love this because? I have a lot of I have the attention of my editors finally, and I'm actually covering a game that people care about, um, and that is also paying the bills. Or do I really love the game because it's just a great game? And I was the first person in the world I think to review the game, and I had this this moment that a lot of journalists I think go through, which is the embargoes are have not lifted, and I'm review, I'm reviewing a game, and I'm going to put a score out there, and other reviewers are going to put scores out there. And I really hope that I'm not going to be like either way too high versus everybody else or way too low where I come across as an idiot, you know? And, uh, but I decided one day that, you know, I'm going to write the most honest review, the most honest, brutally honest review of an import only doomed Xbox title uh, out of Japan. And, uh, that's what I did. And, uh, and I, I don't, I don't regret it. It's, uh, not only is it a game that has really fond memories for me, but I, it's a game I still enjoy playing to this day. What did you give it then? I give it a 9 out of 10. A 9 out of 10. Well, you sit on... That wasn't too bad because I think it reviewed around like an 8.5, an 8. I think the Metacritic mm-hmm. is about an 80. So, I mean, it was a good game. So you yeah. you weren't wrong. Even though I wasn't you wrong. <laughs> you, can, you can have the blinders of being in love with the game. But I think even when you're in love with the game, if a game is not good or has faults, you can still see them. But maybe you're a little more forgiving. But it sounds like Phantom Dust... You weren't betrayed by the game being bad. It was a good game, and the reason it was a good game was maybe why you liked it so much. Um, yeah, yeah. But speaking of Phantom Dust now, then, because it has been re-released on the Xbox One, and also there was the the Xbox One reboot that they were gonna do. Um, I know. I don't even know if that's still going on. I think last no, year it was canceled. Or put on hold, as they say. But I imagine when they say that at Microsoft, you might know that they let me cancelled. <laughs> right. We saw Scalebound that happen as well, unfortunately, earlier mm-hmm. this year. Um, were you excited about the reboot, or are you kind of just happy that it's going to be left where it is, and now you get to play it on Xbox One anyway? Right. So it's it's funny uh, on the day that we're recording this, and uh, I actually was able to post an article on, on Polygon about my experiences with Phantom Dust and how um, it really shaped my career and uh, how excited I was about the, the re-release. It's it's not the most robust re-release in the sense that it's not like an HD remaster. They they actually lost the source, the final source code of the game. Um, so, so I think the team at Microsoft did a really good job um, working with the developer out of uh, Vancouver, Canada um, to kind of hack the game into the state that it's in and, and made it a free-to-play title, which it wasn't, it wasn't originally like that for the when it shipped on the original Xbox. Uh, and so um, I was, uh, you know, being here in the Seattle area, I was invited to go visit Microsoft and uh, look at a like a pre-beta, maybe a late alpha version of the game. 
And uh, yeah, I just saw a lot of passion behind the project. And uh, and again, I'm just so happy that I can just load up uh, my Xbox and play it at any time now because the servers had long gone dormant uh, for the original game. Um, but I still was able to keep uh, close ties with the community that was behind the game that would keep the game alive by doing like tunneling software and hacking their Xboxes. That was a very, very passionate community. Um, and it, because like what the magic of the game really is again, back to this kind of card uh, deck building aspect of it. There's a seemingly infinite amount of different decks you can create and kind of test and, and play online and try them out and just make a little tweaks. And I find that over time, like even with Hearthstone, I actually prefer to, I, I, I find myself being way more obsessed with like the card or deck building aspect of the game than the actual fight that takes place after that. Like the uh, craft I, of making the perfect yes, deck. Yes, I love or, that. I or, used to do that in high school with Magic, too, yes. Or like a theme deck, so everything yes. ties into each other. Okay, I love yeah, that. I get that. It's just something I just get really, really excited about. <laughs> so, when we're talking about going to the island then, what yes. version are you going to be wanting to take? Oh, I'll, I'll definitely take the the new version, uh, because there's actually people on the servers now, thanks to it, the game also being free-to-play. Uh, okay, Yes. So I'm very, very, very excited about that. Uh, <laughs> so you're going to have actual people to play with. Um, for how long, though, we will see. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. I think it might be just another sad thing that over some time, maybe the game you know, kind of dies down in popularity and the servers become more barren like they used to. But hey, yeah. that's how the first game worked as well. And then it's, it's just the cycle of the product, I guess. Do you think if this game gets a lot of downloads and has quite a lot of people playing, especially with people like yourself, you know, writing articles about it for Polygon and there being this sort of new renaissance about the game and maybe people who never played it like myself who might check it out now um, and like, oh, wow, this is really good uh, and who were initially maybe confused when the reboot was announced mm -hmm. because it seems like such an odd choice for a reboot for people who don't know about the game. Right. Do you think maybe we will see sort of a comeback? I know the trademark for Scalebound was, you know, recently <laughs> renewed, recently, yeah. renewed and ne ne never read into that because that kind of stuff it usually doesn't mean anything, but you never know. Do you, yes. I <laughs> sorry. Think, <coughs> do you yeah, think no, so. we might see it come back? I think you're right. I mean, I think if the game proves <gasps> to Microsoft that it's actually a worthwhile endeavor that there's a there's a now there's a bigger audience and they seem like to be they're putting a lot of hours into it and it's got like that engagement level that they're looking for then that's going to go a long way into you know getting the budget back to you know try again in terms of a, a reboot or a sequel uh and uh and yeah so i i, I think hope springs eternal with phantom dust but if y yukio futatsugi's career is any indication though like not every single game or franchise is destined for uh, you know uh, like a, a favorable um, uh, outcome because again with Fant like with his career it's 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 he's got a lot of smaller like, games that are really well received but also but that don't sell commercially well and again, again Panzer Dragoon Saga being one of the better examples of that so I don't know like I'm hoping that Futatsuki can kind of overcome this curse and. <laughs> That 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 this the hard work that he put into the game is uh, is going to be reflected uh, in a sequel or an extension of the product and yeah so I, I I hope I hope I hope you're right Liam I hope so too uh, just for fans like you who might get to see something like a sort of not a update but uh, the game expands now we have games like Hearthstone um, we have more of those sort of card collecting based games there's also the really popular one in Japan that I forget the name of right now that a lot of the Japanese streamers are playing. Mm -hmm. um, so there seems a lot of this sort of card collecting uh, mechanics in video games. So it'd be interesting to see a sort of update of that. It's interesting because um, uh, Futsugi-san has kind of always been 
uh, initially starting obviously with Sega and the Panzer Dragoon series, he's been stuck with Xbox for a while. <laughs> he has been, like, yeah, for better or for worse, right? For yeah, Phantom Dust, and then he did Crimson Dragon for the like right. the Connect and stuff like that. Um, it yeah, that's kind of unique for a Japanese developer right now. I can't really think of anyone else. Um, so, so it would be interesting to see him once again stick with the Xbox One and see out a new Phantom Dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's up to Microsoft, I guess. And hopefully, you'd never want to see games get cancelled. It's people's lives, people pro- people's projects that they... The one thing people don't understand, I think you'll know better than anyone, is when a game gets announced and you have months and months go by without hearing a thing and then you mm. get an update and then months and months go by and then all of a sudden it gets cancelled... People are like, oh, well, we never really saw anything. There have been teams of people who have been working on that for two, three years up until that point, and it is incredibly disappointing for them not to to have people eventually get their hands on their work or ever see the product of their work. Um, I think maybe that could have happened with Phantom Dust. We don't know what the state of the game would have been. Maybe it was just pre-production, but it is a shame when games get cancelled. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... And it's, it's too bad because the developer for that reboot, I think, out of Florida is rumored um, that that team is no more. But uh, you're right, and it, it's it, a lot of people get affected by it, and it's it's not it's a it's a bad bad part of the business. We've gone through our own kind of project cancellation experiences at Camouflage, and so it's not, it's never pretty. But uh, you know, uh, at least this game, I think, against all odds, is getting a second shot, and so we'll we'll see what happens with it. Well, it's really interesting because having spoken to you today and, and uh, you know, seen interviews with you, the, the way you talk about video games is all about that leaving the mark on the player and having them think about something uh, you were saying about Republic earlier, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because I have a quote from uh, Futsusugi-san about he wanting to create something with, like, permanence, something that will remain in the hearts of groups of players <laughs> and make a game who are for people who are starving of a new experience that will stay fresh and unique even ten years after its release. Uh, I love it to leave a mark on the minds of players. So it seems like you made a game along the same sort of thinking that you do as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely made a mark on me. Even if it's a small community of folks, the guys that played the original Xbox game that were inspired by all the articles that I was putting out and got really excited and we started creating this community and I, I was involved in the Phantom Dusted uh, fan site. Uh, it was a, it was, it's just like a very like warm feeling I have uh, seeing what the community has done and they kind of really helped get this game re-released. Uh, Microsoft saw what they're doing, saw the passion behind it and said, hey, you know, even though this game had a very limited release for its first, for its first run, there's something here. There's something sticky about this game. And so that's, uh, yeah, and again, I'm really just like really hopeful that the, the game finds a much wider audience and, and proves to be successful. Excellent. Well, hopefully it is. So you'll always have players to play with as well on the Xbox One version while you take it to the island. Yes. Um, <laughs> if, if not, and the servers get shut down, it's okay because you can just craft and build your, what, yeah. what is it, Arsenal? Arsenal, you Arsenal, can build your yeah, Arsenal. Just play the single-player campaign. I could just play that a couple times over. And you play that a few times with uh, perfecting your Arsenal and experimenting. So it's uh, yours to take with you. But it is time now to move on to the next game. And um, we're sort of... The next half is... Uh, you're sort of... What what are we calling the next half? The next four? We've gone, we've gone through the nostalgia and personal feelings of games that... Uh, personal to you what are we moving into now what is the space we're going to call it the, the, the next space is 
okay, so I'm I'm being banished to a desert island for the rest of my life, and I don't know if I want to. I want to play some stuff that uh, that has a long long shelf life that has a long lot of replayability. Um, but I also want to play a lot of things I've never really played before. And so I don't know if any of your other guests have done this, but uh, um, there's a number of games on this list that I've never played. And I'm going to take, I'm going to roll the dice and just hope that I like what I play. Very good. Well, we're going to jump into the first game then. So let's listen to some music and let's dive straight into it. So jumping then now to Ryan's sort of experimental rolling the dice, let's just gambade through this and hope that all of these games are going to turn out good for you. Um, so the first game that we're going to talk about now in this sort of back half of your list now is a MMO game that I think rivals World of Warcraft as the most chosen MMO on oh, the show. Nice. It seems people have a real fondness, and you are not alone in being one of the uh, someone who has maybe not played this game but thinks they might like it, so they've chosen <laughs> it. I think we've had that before, or we've had oh, players good. who have, uh, we've had guests who have maybe played the game a little bit and liked the mechanics, but do not have the time exactly to sink into this game because this game and this world and this community are just essentially a whole other dimension uh, of its own currency, its own politics, and everything. It's quite mm-hmm. special. Developed, of course, by the Norwegian company CCP Games. I think it's Norwegian. Um, the MMO that released all the way back in 2003. Every time I read that, it's incredible to think. That, mm-hmm. ga- that game's been around since I was 13 years old. Um, <laughs> and it still has a thriving community of players. With a game that contains over 7,000 star systems. <sighs> Amazing. The space-based sort of massively on-player role-playing game that some people compare a little bit to an Excel spreadsheet sometimes. <laughs> it is, of course, EVE Online. Now, Ryan, I imagine maybe you have not played this game or you've played it a little bit. I've never played this game. Never played it. Okay, so please <laughs> tell me then what it is about EVE that you that tickles your fancy. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so it's the, I think it's the fantasy of being in a... Um in deep space, you know, all the things that you get to do that I've read about and watched over the shoulder of some of my uh, coworkers play and think, yeah, if I had uh, decades ahead of me that I could just sink into a game, this would probably be the one that I would probably, you know, go deepest into. Yeah. Uh, And I just love, you know, hard sci-fi, obviously. Uh, And uh, the other thing I really love, um, and I've, I've spent, while I have spent zero hours in EVE Online, I have spent many hours reading articles on EVE Online uh, and reading about, like, as you mentioned, like the political 
dynamics of what's going on and the different machinations and betrayals and epic battles. Um, that all sounds extremely appealing to me. But again, just be, given my, my work schedule, uh, I, I, I barely have time to play maybe a half dozen games to f- completion a, a year. There's no way that I'm going to do anything meaningful in, in, in EVE Online uh, while I'm still working at Camouflage. So, uh, <laughs> yes, that's, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the reason why it's on my list. So let's talk about then your journey into EVE. Are you wanting to progress from like the players who start out as like a mediocre sort of pilot to being maybe the emperor of your own fleet uh, and you hear about these players who will literally die for their <laughs> captains who are like these political leaders within, within the game. Are you hoping to get that in depth to it or are you just hoping to maybe be a, sp- a space cowboy and just float around in space a little bit? Well, the way I play games, uh, which I don't think is too different from a lot of people, is that um, when I'm I'm given the kind of moral choices, I oftentimes just choose what I would choose in real life if I was in that situation. I like so doing that. You do that too? So yeah, yeah. I think I would just... Uh, I don't. I don't think I'd be role playing in the sense of like I'd just be just role playing as as if I was just born in this in this age and this is these are the more this is my moral background and uh, I'd love to okay. see where where the game takes me. So that makes it more interesting because now I'm wondering: Does Ryan Payton have the ambition to be the emperor of space? Would Ryan Payton making his own choices within Eve as if it was his real life? Would he end up being the leader <laughs> of an armada of spaceships? I'd like to think not. Uh, you know, I, I, when I, when I look at my career and, uh, I think it's pretty obvious when you look at, uh, the way that we run camouflage, like it's not, it's not the, at least I hope not. It's not the Ryan Payton studio, right? Um, it's a place of where we have about 40, 45 folks that we work with on a daily basis, uh, um, all equally worthy of, of, of praise and of, of, of control over, of the things that they work on. And so uh, I'm, maybe I look at myself more as a cog in the wheel of something that could be a positive influence on the people around me. Um, and that's something that I've really developed, I think, over um, my, my adult life, um, being kind of like a, an idiot kid growing up. Um, I had something of a transformation when I was probably 17 years old, uh, where I realized that it's not just about me anymore, that I need to, I need to care about other people and uh, I need to love people. And, uh, and I try to apply that to what I do every single day. And so I'd like to think that when I go into a, um, an online arena, um, that human empathy, even though that oftentimes gets checked at the door by some, some people online, that I'd like to make sure that I'd like to think that I will take that along with me and treat people with respect and love like I try to do. Uh, you know, I fail all the time at that, but I try to do that in my, my daily life as well. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll check back in. We'll see, Wait, and then yeah. I'm a huge tyrant, and I was like a double double agent, and then killed the emperor when he was when his back was turned, and then Maybe. we'll find out what Ryan Payne's real morality <laughs> is all about. Considering you were going to be stranded on a science fiction island in space as well, you might you might get a little space crazy. And, uh, I could go a little crazy, and then I don't. know, Is it my fault anymore? I don't know. No, it's probably mine. But, um, <laughs> a lot of people blame me for what happens on these islands, uh, which is bad. <laughs> um, does the gameplay? Aspects of it not worry you too much. The sort I, of non-gameplay. Um, <laughs> do you? Because having not played it, maybe you have all the time in the world to get used to it, of course. But what if you get used to it and you just don't like it, and you're just not? Even if you are making spectacular progress towards building an empire, um, it's totally possible, Liam. And this could be one of the many mistakes I make in this list because, uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> when I um. When I went back home after I thought I had not got the job at Konami, I 
bought World of Warcraft and thought I was just going to play that game because I'm fascinated by MMOs, but I've never had much time to really dig deep into them. And so, but I couldn't, it's, it, try as I might, I was not able to addict myself with World of Warcraft. And so it's very possible that the, that the mechanics of, of EVE Online might not speak to me. Well, considering how long you're going to be trapped in space and you only do have eight games, which... I mean, I'm looking at my shelf right now, and eight games is not a lot of games. Not a lot of games. Um, so I hope for your sakes that you do enjoy it, and um, I'm very interested to see how your, how you, how the Ryan Payton in space project works out for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. Like, if I'm going crazy, space crazy, just like please, just tell me to go do a couple flips in the in the Warthog, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll start making you play uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 again and ground you a little more back into <laughs> yes. Cold yes, War please. and being your own person. Oh, bring, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> well, we're going to move on now to your next game. Um, I'm very interested to know... Well, we'll get on to it, but I'm very intrigued to know if you have never played this game and somehow avoided playing this game uh, over the years and the thousands of platforms on which it's released now, <laughs> including most recently, about two weeks ago, the Nintendo Switch as well. Uh, it's kind of unavoidable. So let's listen to some music from this game. Some very nice and melodic, subdued music, but all the best. We'll move on to it. So let's dive straight into it. Jumping in now to Ryan's sixth game, and as I said, I am very intrigued, Ryan. Have you played this game? I've only played maybe four or five hours of Minecraft in my life. So, four or five hours, considering the worldwide phenomenon that this game became, and having released on every platform you can even think of, whether it's your phone, your PlayStation 4, or even your Nintendo Switch... The sandbox video game created by Notch, Marcus Person, is everywhere and has been everywhere and has become this multi-billion dollar franchise for Microsoft as well. Um, it's Minecraft. So you've played four or five hours, Ryan. Did you enjoy those four or five hours? I did, and it was one of those things where I felt like, you know what, when I get some time on my hands, this is something I really like to dig into. In fact, I played it... Um, Unintended? Yes, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I keep hitting those. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I played this um, while I was in a really bad place in my life, uh, in my career. This is actually after I had been demoted at Microsoft uh, and um, somehow convinced the powers that be that I needed to go to a, a GDC convention in, uh, in Austin, Texas. And uh, I was there just like, you know, attending some talks and things like that and went back to my hotel room. And this is around, I think, 2000. 
10 potentially i think yeah and um right right on the time that the game was coming out or it's just yeah, so it's only been out yeah th- this is before the game came out this was like a beta alpha yes the exactly game came out in 2011 so yeah so i was just playing like yeah the the paid alpha or paid beta and some people were talking about it and i uh i, I fell in love with it even in its very early state and i thought okay this is this is a game that if I was a little younger, if I had some more free time, I would just totally dig into because, like you know, a lot of your guests also talk about it. it's if you're going to be on a deserted island for the rest of your life, uh, you need some kind of creative outlet as well. Yeah. And so I can absolutely. imagine very, very sad scenarios where I'm building my the house that I grew up in, or I'm oh. building the fishing village that uh, <laughs> that I spent time in Japan, or you know, building monuments to all the people that I miss. Uh, and so, uh, but you needed some kind of creative outlet, and uh, and I thought that I couldn't think of a better um, a better place than Minecraft. Everyone's trying to make me feel so guilty for banishing them to deserted islands with these lovely stories about what they're going to do when they have the ability to create stuff, whether it's <laughs> their home and stuff like that. Um, I think Minecraft is pretty just self-explanatory at this point Correct. as to why you would take it. And considering you played the game before it was even released officially, um, you could pay for the beta and the alpha at the time um mm-hmm. comparing to how the game is now with all of the incredible materials and you can you can build computers in it uh, with it's switches amazing. and stuff like that um is that the kind of stuff that you want to get into or are you just gonna just gonna you know build your house and yeah it's just I, you just know, get by just, just like with the eve online i've read so many articles about uh minecraft and how incredible it is and what these people what, what players are doing in it how transformative it is, how people are, how people are using it for education. Uh, it just seems like a great kind of uh, uh, tool to not only kind of just as a, as a creative uh, exploration, but also a learning tool to, yeah, maybe getting into a little bit of coding or, or modding as well, because again, lack of time right now, but uh, I have a lot more time to kind of dig into it. And um, yeah, it's a, uh, and I just, you know, as, as everybody who's listening to the show has like younger siblings or, uh, you know, friends or relatives that, uh, have just obsessed over the game and I love watching kids play Minecraft uh, and so I just want to be able to be a kind of a kid again and, and play through the game and just have fun and not worry about it I just think it's like a long summer vacation a very very long summer vacation <laughs> a very long indeed. summer vacation on a very uh, <laughs> deserted island well it's interesting because we're, a lot a lot of these games considering your history with Microsoft um, a lot of these games are Microsoft based games I, now you know I didn't really realize that until you until like I think we got to Minecraft I'm thinking oh man like <laughs> What I'm thinking, though, is would you play it on a Microsoft platform? I imagine PC is probably the way to go, right? Oh, yeah. I would imagine PC is the way to go, yeah. yeah. And if not, yeah. then maybe the Switch version would be kind of fun to... to... I think the Switch version would be lovely. Yes. Uh, I haven't played the Switch version yet. I think I think me and Minecraft, I think our relationship's over. I just can't find myself ever going back to that game. Um too many nights of drinking wine, getting very drunk, digging as far down into the, the earth as I could, <laughs> getting to lost... See what just to see what happens and then waking up in the morning and wondering how the hell to get out. That was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun times in university to do that. Um, nice, nice. But yeah, I think it's interesting because Minecraft, every time I feel like it's got to the point of exhaustion, something happens. Like yes. whether it's the Switch version or when Microsoft bought it um, or Minecon when they made it their own convention mm-hmm. about it. Um, it gets to a point and it just come, it comes back. And I feel like it's just going to be one of those things that is going to be around forever. Because graphically, the style doesn't need to change. It it's going yeah, yeah, to be right. timeless forever. 
Um, I'm just wondering if Minecraft is going to be like The Simpsons and we're just going to see it continue on forever and ever through every iteration of life and every gaming industry cycle. Do you think yeah, we think will right. see more games like this? Games that are sort of not restricted to whatever platform or... It's almost not a game at this point. It's almost just a sort of thing. It's its mm-hmm. own toy that... Right, like a digital Lego equivalent, yeah. right? I think that I think you're right. And whether it's... It's up to Microsoft whether or not they do the right moves to 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 ensure its longevity for for decades to come, right? Yes. But even even if they do mess it up, which is possible, right? Like you could make some good arguments that, that Microsoft doesn't always have a great track record uh, with 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 inheriting or, or buying different aspects, products, and things like that, uh, and, and and seeing them through the the. And, and and having and adding that longevity to the product, um, but even still, even if it's a it's a it it becomes a fad and starts um, fading away, what we do have is literally tens, if not hundreds, of millions of of kids and young people that have grown up with this game now. That when they become adults and they start developing their own games, that they're going to think back to their childhood and go like, I really love this game Minecraft, and I want to. I'm going to do like the next version of this, or I'm going to have inspiration of that game into the, the things that I work on. So I think until the time that I'm dead, I'm going to see um, not only just it, whether it's Minecraft itself or the the inspired machinations um, that came from that game uh, just kind of continue on till t- until I'm, I'm long long gone. Excellent. Well, you are going to have the ability to do that for many many years to come, and I'm going to be very intrigued to see what you create and how your worlds have spread and that kind of thing um, over the years on the deserted island in space. <laughs> so we're going to move on to your next game now, which I feel like, I don't know if you played this game, but this is this is like the the real roll of the dice because this kind of genre is very selective and I think it's either you love it or you hate it. So I'm very intrigued to hear what you think. <laughs> so let's listen to some music for this next game and let's dive straight into the second to last game on Ryan's list. So jumping now into Ryan, Ryan, I can't even talk. Jumping into Ryan's second to last game now. Um, is this a game that you have also not played, or have you played a little bit, or do you play regularly and want more time to play? So this is a game that, uh, like Minecraft, I've maybe only played three, four, maybe five hours of. Wow, that's in the terms of this kind of game. It, that is a. That's like a minute, like a second has passed. Oh, I know, and it, it, suffice to say, it didn't go very well. <laughs> but even still, it's uh, number seven on my list. Uh, which is weird, so you must have enjoyed it, and you must have enjoyed the potential that you could have... 
Yeah, you know, thinking optimistically that I might actually enjoy playing thousands of hours like this, like as my friends do. <laughs> well, there is a reason that people play these type of games. I am someone who came from a League of Legends background, and I sank thousands of hours into League of Legends, so I can understand. Gotcha. Um, but it does take, it does have a barrier. These games have a barrier that you need to overcome, and it can be a bit crappy to begin with to get over that and especially if you don't have friends to play with which you are not going to you're going to have randoms um, which can be even more difficult in this kind of game but it of course is a MOBA developed by Valve it's definitely the second biggest MOBA out there it was released originally back on PC in 2013 finally after months of being in beta it is the sequel to a mod that was released for Warcraft 3, Defense of the Ancients, and it is the free-to-play game that no needs no explanation. It's Dota 2. Ryan, please tell me how you're going to get over the, the Dota 2 hump of beginning and become like a, a esports master. <laughs> I think the lack of friends is gonna be a real challenge with this one. Uh, because I've had two friends now try to teach me how to play this game, uh, and uh, w- one of my friends just—I could, could just tell—I was just frustrating him with all of my you know, novice questions and just you know my very slow speed, and and it was a very stressful experience I think for the both of us. And so I think it's just kind of funny that I put it on this list because uh, now I don't even have a Sherpa to help me get through this. Uh, I have to like you know look at the in-game manual and look at through the t- tutorial, which I think is is still quite lacking. And just fight my way through it because, uh, and the reason I put it on the list though is that because I, uh, growing up, I was a huge StarCraft fan. I played a lot of uh, Command and Conquer, uh, Warcraft, uh, and XCOM, and you know, strategic like PC strategy games. Uh, I've always really loved, but um, the competitive nature what they that that the Valve and 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 Riot have de- have developed um, is is something that uh, you know, I think would be a great outlet and and something that again, if I, I wish if I had time now, I'd pl- I think I'd play a lot of Dota too. Uh, because I think it has a lot of the design principles that really speak to me. Uh, but again, it's just been a lack of time. So, hey, I'm on a deserted island, so uh, I'm just going to make the most of it. Is it Dota 2 because that's what your friends are playing compared to like League of Legends or Heroes of the Storm? Or is it specifically that Dota 2 appeals to you as like a game made by Valve or the aesthetic and that kind of thing? That's a good question, like why I chose that over League, because I won't be, be able to play with friends. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a Coke or Pepsi type of... Uh, choice i feel like with a lot of people uh also like you know what, what your friends are doing which ones they're into and how what's your first experience uh and so for me it was really i was my i was more introduced to dota 2 a lot more strongly than 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 league of legends and i think that's a big reason behind it also the aesthetic of the game not i'm not a big fan of like the the kind of the blizzard aesthetic which obviously dota 2 is inspired by uh, but it's a little bit more appealing to me than than the league of legends aesthetic uh, and uh, and I, I kind of like their monetization uh, uh, strategy a little bit more than than the, the League of Legends one as well. So yeah, it's, I think it speaks to me on a, on a couple of different fronts. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Valve and their design philosophies. So I, and I have actually spent a lot more time watching Dota 2 than I've ever done playing it. And being in the Seattle area where they ho- where they host the the annual uh, international tournament, uh, I've been I've been lucky enough to be invited to just like you know go and observe some of the some of the the final matches even though i have no idea what's going on it's exciting to, to feel the energy in the air and see everybody screaming and hollering and i just really love watching that uh again even though i'm not i'm very unfamiliar with a lot of the rule sets and the characters 
It is definitely like going to a sports game, isn't it? Even if you don't know the rules of the sport, you get sort of just caught up in the hype and excitement and the atmosphere of what's going on. The amount of times I've taken uh, friends or people to like maybe a soccer match or something like that and they they have no interest and then they come out and they're like, oh my God, that was amazing. And esports is definitely now at that point. Like it's crazy. Bonanza, all these people who maybe who didn't like sports initially and didn't see the appeal now sort of understand why people get wrapped up in that sort of stuff. Um, yes. And the excitement and all that, even if you don't know what's going on, and especially with <laughs> esports, which can be a messy, confusing spectacle of particles that just go off and people screaming and you don't know why this particle hit this particle. And yeah, now... you know, it looks like abstract <laughs> art to me uh, in my untrained eye. <laughs> so, talking about, I imagine you know about the roles and the positions. Uh, a little bit. I've been yelled at enough to get an idea that it's kind of like basketball, five on five, that there's different, you know, there's guards and there's guys that are a little more offensive, defensive, but not much beyond this. Uh, Liam, I'm really, again, like, I'm really rolling the dice on the second half of my list. Um, I'm wait, really I'm, hoping that I walk away, like, you know, as a huge fan of, <laughs> of Dota. <laughs> I'm really hoping it all works out for you because I think although some people have taken some risks, I think they maybe have a little more experience with the games they've chosen but want more time with, whereas you are just going the whole hog. You are fully diving headfirst into it um, and really taking a risk. I'm just wondering, like, the kind of player that you are. Are you a more defensive player? Do you want to be, like, a support role? Or are you going to be, like, the solo laner, the the star of the show, like getting all the kills and all all that sort of stuff. What kind of player do you think you sort of fit into? <laughs> well, it's, I, I, I like. There's this uh, character. I think his name is Tidehunter. Uh, he's uh, he's not he's not the he's the he's the only character really that I've played. Uh, but he was but the way he was described to me was something that kind of aligned with the way I like to play games. And so he's not like out there in the front lines, but he's also not a healer. Um, he's kind of somewhere in the middle there. Uh, and so that's kind of how I played. I've played other kind of like more class-based games in the past. So, um, and he, I think he looks kind of cool. I've um, my friend gifted me on Steam a uh, a kind of a Bioshock-esque uh, costume of his. Hopefully, that will kind of carry over when I get to the deserted island. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to kind of developing my skill set. Uh, but I think I could be able to play every single character because it seems like I have a lot of time uh, and be able to unlock some kind of achievements for having taken every, all the characters to certain um, you know certain level limits. That's cool. I mean, you're going to have at least that aspect where even if the game is not going so well, you can like dress up your little characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, there's, so, there's so many things about... I really feel like now more than ever, and it's going to become... And this is going to continue to escalate and, and grow uh, as time goes on, is that the game industry now is so diverse and so multifaceted that uh, when I look at a game like Dota 2... And not, not just a game like Dota 2, like Minecraft or like EVE Online before it. There's so many facets to this game, whether it's the the user creation side of the game or the esports side of the game or just like the campaign and the backstories and the lore and everything. These games are just so complex and there's so much going on um, that it's inspiring, but it's also intimidating. And it's it's these are like these games that are on my list that I think to if I ever had a lot of free time, I'd love to just dive really, really deep into these games um, because again, as a person with a full-time job where I go a little bit overboard, um, when it comes to work hours, <laughs> I just don't have the affordance now to dig, to, to dig into games as deep as I did maybe when I was, uh, you know, you know, in my twenties or in college. Right. 
I don't feel too bad for taking up your time today then for like a two-hour podcast because even so, you would have only fit in like one and a half games of Dota as it is. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, it's no big deal then. <laughs> you really do need that like time sink, the ability to... You're going to be stuck on a deserted island for like hopefully like 60 years of your life. Um, you want to be able to... Uh, you're going to need that kind of time to be able to sink into Dota and stuff like that. Like, I was playing League of Legends at a time when I worked on a video game, and it was, like, insane hours as well, and just working all the time. And it felt bad because I would get home, and the only thing I want to do is, like, play League of Legends. But, you know, mm. I had, like, a girlfriend who wanted to do things and friends who needed, like, to see I was still alive. Um but I would just get home and it would be like nine o'clock in the evening and I would just play like like four games of League of Legends and it would already be like 1am and it's just like rinse and repeat. It's, it's not the greatest of genres to get involved in unless you're like a teenager who has no time. Uh, well, no you, time other than time to play games. <laughs> well, yeah, you were, you were, you were you know, still a young guy and uh, when you're doing... When oh God, you're I playing, feel so old. When you're playing League and you're still working... Um, you know, it reminds me of, um, you know, Jake Caslow and I actually have a lot of uh, similarities when it comes to our careers. And one of one of the things we do share, which he talked about on your show, was that I've actually also spent time at, in Redmond at Nintendo, um, not doing game counseling, but uh, answering the customer service lines uh, uh, as one of my part-time jobs when I was in, in college. And uh, I would do also the Christmas beat. So all the influx of, of calls that are coming in from consumers who have broken GameCubes and they don't know how the GameCube works and answering these calls on like for 10, 10, 11 hours a day and then driving home to where I was going uh, to school and and then, you know, exhausted. But what am I going to do? I'm going to load up and I'm going to play Animal, Animal Crossing for two or three hours up until and then only sleep for five hours and do it again the next day. And uh, so it's something that I'm very familiar with and something, again, I don't do to, to now nowadays, but um, I could see that, you know, when we were a little bit younger, it was a little easier to do something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely like even now doing like game development, like my own video game development, it's, it's almost like I'd rather be working on stuff than actually playing games or unless it's like a very special game. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of not feels like a waste of time, but... Definitely, like, it's like this weekend, like, I feel like I've become an adult, because even this weekend, I had plans to, like, record this, and then I was going to do, like, game dev work, and then I had some emails to answer for final games, and then tomorrow we'll do the same, and then I was like, but at 6pm tomorrow, on Sunday, at 6pm tomorrow, I'm gonna play Breath of the Wild for, like, six hours. I'm just gonna do that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do that. And it's, like, the first time, I think, in my life I've ever just, like, planned... Mm. a time slot. Wow. And I'm like, oh no, is this my life now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't have kids, but I I think somebody who does have kids listening to the show is probably thinking, just wait till you have kids. I'm trying my best not to even think about those days. I'm not someone who kind of wants children anyway, because that's the kind of thing that puts me off, even thinking about it anyway. Um, I don't have enough time for myself as it is. (laughs) I know. I can't, I can't even imagine working in video games and having kids. It's just oh, I don't no idea. The most incompatible things ever. I don't well, know how they do it. I don't know how Jake Caswell does it. I don't. I have no idea. Uh, the, it being at Bit Summit last weekend and meeting all these wonderful devs who were working so hard on all their great games, and then all of them. I I remember there was we were uh, we were having like there was like a party um, at like after the show, and um, the amount of like 
developers who were like FaceTiming their kids. Mm, <laughs> Just wow, like cool. having to step out to like phone call and say goodnight or you know just that kind of hassle that maybe maybe i maybe i don't want <laughs> you're not ready for yeah you might not no. be ready for it yet no I'm, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well i hope that dota 2 works out for you i really I hope too, that I, I i you probably won't tell me but are, are you the kind of person who rages in video games maybe between us, just between us. Don't, just don't, between us, just don't the pretend, two of us. Don't pretend the listeners are listening. It's, it's fine. I, the only time I've ever raged in, in Throne of Controller was funny enough, uh, the number three on my list, Dark Souls, where I, I literally threw the controller. But that was the only time. That's the only time I've ever raged. I'm, I'm a pretty mild manner kind of guy. You, you seem like you've got, you you can keep your cool. So maybe maybe even in Dota 2, you'll be able to I'd like really to think keep so. your cool. Like Actually, to, but who knows? It's funny enough, actually, there is, I was reading a very interesting article on Kotaku yesterday where there was a, a Dota championship, I don't know where, but they were having a rage quit competition. <laughs> which, and, and the gif they had for the article was incredible. And it's like you just have like this desk with a, with a computer on it, and then you have to rage quit as hard as you possibly can in the most outrageous way. Oh, my gosh way it was it was beautiful it was so fun to watch <laughs> oh cool yeah that would is, be like, fun to watch i'm not really sure i've never really thought about this but i thought maybe if someone did break their equipment that i had given them for the island oh would I, would I replace it i don't know if you so if you accidentally broke something like you rage quit in dota would, would i rep, i don't know i don't you there's might, a lot of questions not. we all have, man. And every time you do a show, we, we, we learn a little more about the, how the system works. <laughs> I have no idea how the system works. <laughs> the system breaks and changes all the time. I um, bet. But for the time being, you seem pretty mild-mannered. So let's say you're not going to break any PC equipment or any keyboards raging in Dota. Let's hope it doesn't get to those those yeah, levels intentionally, of at least. MOBA madness. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we are going to move into your next game now, Ryan. And I don't. I I think I can only recall one time when someone has chosen a game that has not been released yet. Oh, so but I'm not, think, it's not the Christian one. Uh, but, yeah, it's not the first. But I think that game was very close to being released. Where this game now um, has been delayed. Only just last week, um, it was going to come out at the end of this year, but now has been delayed to 2018. Not even Q1, Q2 as well. So it's been pushed back even further. Mm. Um, which is unfortunate because it looks great. And it's my favorite franchise by the company, who I know all too well. Um, but you're going to... I mean, it's not a surprise because of the gamble you've taken on the other games. But <laughs> I feel like this one could be quite the gamble. It is still a... Even though it's open world, it's very linear. And also we know nothing about it yet. <laughs> so let's listen to some music from the first game because we don't have any music from this game unless we can take the trailer Maybe music. Maybe from the trailer. Yeah, Maybe, Maybe from, from the, the trailer. trailer. But let's listen to something and let's dive into Ryan's final game. Listen to me. 
time comes. You gotta run and don't look back. This is over. So the final game on Ryan's list is a game that's in development. It's not been developed, it's in development and is still being worked on by some wonderful people who I know and love. Some of my friends are still working hard, I imagine. I can't actually I can't even imagine what they're going through right now due to the delay announced last week. They're kind of maybe they're maybe they're leaning back a little bit or taking a breather or they're working even harder. Um, but it is a game developed by Rockstar Studios um, and the Rockstar San Diego side of things. They're the guys who handle the Red Dead Redemption stuff. It is a game based on cowboys, and we don't even know who the main character is yet or what you're going to be doing. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be a lot like the first game. Well, I say the first game, I mean Red Dead Redemption, not Red Correct, Dead yeah. Revolver. It is hopefully going to be a open, huge open world wildlife masterpiece that will release sometime next year for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2. Ryan, this is a gamble this is the riskiest thing because not only are you choosing a game that you don't know anything about other than what you know about the first game and what you've seen in screenshots um this is a game that's not going to come to your island for almost a year from this (laughs) this point onwards well i look at that as a bonus as something to look forward to otherwise it's going to be pretty mundane every day that's true so it's like you've 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 banked on a pre-order and yes. you're just waiting for the pre-order to come through. <laughs> and I'm hopefully not pushing over magazine racks uh, if the if the game ends up being uh, a, a tremendous uh, failure. So yeah, it is a huge yeah. risk I'm taking. <laughs> it is a huge risk, but you you're in the hands of a a developer that has a, a a track record of making pretty great games, of course, being Rockstar. But tell me then, why Red Dead Redemption Two? Out of all the games you could possibly fathom not being released yet or being in development and wanting out of a video game why is it red dead redemption 2 that you want to take or you want to receive Mm. yeah it's uh, you know i i wanted to put a game on my list like gta 5 uh, that uh, was open world that had um, some really interesting online uh, elements that continue to evolve over time Uh, and this is this is actually kind of a more of a recent thing that uh, i found myself uh, spending a lot of time um, watching on twitch which is all the role playing that's happening in, in uh, the role playing servers that are happening in GTA Five with oh, like cops and robbers in the online stuff. Yeah, that was really yes. interesting. And I really love that, and it's so fascinating to watch on Twitch. And again, if I had a lot of time, I'd love to get involved in that and develop some you know mediocre uh, acting skills along with it. We we actually did do some similar stuff like that during the development of Oh, I bet Five. Like we were just like bored one day, and we had to do you know. Hours after hours of testing on the online and making sure it's working. Just the role-playing aspects was the stuff that got us through the day, just playing around in the studio and stuff like that. So oh, it's, it's really interesting it's to see other people do it, yeah. And, and, the, and these, these folks, like even like ex-cops, like, uh, like uh, Sheriff Eli, is, as he's known online, uh, he's starting to get, you know, kind of gain a following. And it's so funny and interesting and entertaining to watch this kind of, um, like kind of Stanford like prison experiment take place where... People are talking to him like he's a police officer and being intimidated because of the types of words that he uses. And uh, the, the whole role-playing aspect of the game is very, very interesting. But the reason why I didn't choose GTA V is because I have a very weird complex when it comes to Rockstar Games. And that is, I really have a deep respect for what they do and, and the craft and the scale of the games is, is, is it's almost like unparalleled. 
Uh, but I do have <laughs> the humor of it never really clicks with me. Um, and even even so with Red Dead Redemption, the first one, it's it's a little bit more of my style. I love westerns, and it's a great western. But there's some. It's still got like kind of like a almost like a juvenile bent to it, oftentimes, which I think it really shows its face in GTA V quite a bit. So what I'm really holding out for, I know it's a big risk, but that Red Dead Redemption Two is going to be a little more on that mature side of things. It's still going to have its, the quirky rock star humor, which we're never going to go away with, but get away from. But I'm hoping that they do some sort of um, online um, version of the game, which I, I'm assuming they're going to do based on the fact that the first Red Dead Redemption had some kind of um, online features. And hopefully I can role play as a cowboy or as a And also as a GTA, GTA Online made more money than cents. So I would be very, very surprised if they did exactly. not choose to have some sort of online element. So I'm holding out a lot on this one, Liam. So... Uh, but uh, yeah, just like just being there on the prairie, even just what we see from like the TV commercials or the trailers, it sounds like it's going to be a beautiful place to kind of observe wildlife. And uh, yeah, so I'm, 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 I, it's a, it's a, it's a gamble I'm taking, but uh, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty safe bet in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. So tell me then about the first game, the first Red Dead Redemption, not the mm-hmm, first RDR mm-hmm. game. Were you a big fan of that game? I really liked it. Uh, I thought it did some really, really amazing things from a narrative perspective. Uh, I, again, I love roaming the the the, the world, but it, it felt like a game that, where the technology maybe had not caught up to where Rockstar potentially want to take the game. Uh, you know, some of the environments were pretty bland. Uh, there's some a lot of glitches, which tend to happen with these big open world games. So I really, why I really really loved it. I would, I, I think that. And I have a whole theory, which I'm gonna I'm gonna spare you today about sequels and the importance of sequels and the importance of uh, of a second chance and, and doing like a second draft, like we kind of talked about with Demon Souls to Dark Souls. And so uh, I, I'm a big believer that uh, Red Dead's gonna kind of build upon Red Dead Redemption Two is gonna build upon the the, the previous title um, and kind of double down on the things that I thought that were um, really great about the about the about the first game. Well, it's interesting considering I have some <laughs> some ties to people working on the game and that kind of thing. And I'm very interested myself because I'm not the biggest fan of the GTA franchise, even though that is like what I worked on. I kind of have the same feeling you had about MGS4, about GTA 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came just after Red Dead Redemption and Max Payne 3 was sort of beginning to end and I loved Red Dead Redemption. Uh-huh, right? Yeah, it's a great game. But having worked at Rockstar now and having been there and stuff like that, I'm very intrigued, considering I know the process now, like, of how the games get developed and the kind of thing, how Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to turn out. And I'm, like, half excited because I really enjoyed Red Dead Redemption and also apprehensive, <laughs> in a way, just because of my history with Rockstar. Of course. So, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering whether it's going to be a worthwhile choice, considering I can't imagine it being too much, too expansive upon the first game. So you're going to get what you're going to get, which is like an open world cowboy game. Yeah, um, cowboy simulator, man. So if you like playing blackjack and like hunting bears. Yeah, there you go. I think you'll be okay. Even if the game ends up like the the core game ends up being kind of a dud, at least I know that I can play blackjack in some sort of saloon somewhere. Yeah, 
But I think it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be something. Even though you're going to be in a beautiful science fiction world anyway, it's going to be nice to ground yourself. Like you're going to have like the Cold War aesthetic. You're going yes, to have I'm the, <laughs> very eclectic. You're going to have the cowboy. You're going to have like the all American. You got this, the science fiction American marine stuff. You got mm -hmm. the cowboy westerns, and you also have the Cold War. Dark fantasy. Dark fantasy, yeah, dark fantasy as well. Well, you have quite a few worlds to go to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, actually. You know, when can we get started? Well, I think it is about time now. Because there is not already much we can really say in Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> there really isn't. Other than, uh, good luck, I hope. <laughs> I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah, cross your fingers. So... Yeah, I think it is about time then that we get ready to send you off into space. I don't know how we're going to get you there. Um, maybe we'll give you some sort of vehicle from Halo itself to fly you up to the to the the space that you're going to be staying in forever. Um, but Ryan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk, and I've been trying to get you on the show for quite a while. I've I always had your name down in a book. I have a list of people who I want to come on the show, and you've been down in that book for a long time. So it's great to finally have you on the show. Oh, I appreciate it, Liam. You're doing a great job with the show, and I appreciate you thinking of me. And uh, yeah, and I hope that uh, that your listeners enjoy what we talked about. And, and I also hope you start you start feeling better, because like I can tell you can, you're, you're struggling with your cold, and I think that the <laughs> listeners really appreciate that, even if you're not feeling you know at 100% that you still do the show, and, 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 and uh you know, retain that commitment that you have to it. So uh, kudos to you for doing that. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I do apologize for my disgusting cold. I believe I caught something at Bit Summit last weekend. So I'm going to blame all the wonderful devs who were at Bit Summit <laughs> last week for my my failure to be on top form today. But thank you so much. And I do hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. But there is one last thing I have to ask you before you leave, Ryan. Uh -huh. And that is that, as always, we talk about games on Final Games. And games are very important to us as video gamers. But one thing that is very important as well is the consoles and the way we play games. Because playing games these days, especially with like stuff like the Switch, there are so many unique and interesting ways in which we can play video games and how we have these experiences now. And I feel like it's really hit me with the Switch because the Switch has just fast become one of my favorite things um, just ever. I love the ability of playing console games just anywhere, whether it's yeah. on the bus to go to Bit Summit in Kyoto and playing Zelda Breath of the Wild for four hours on a bus. The ability to do that is so fantastic. Yeah, it's nice. So... Playing games is very important, and the way we, we all have our preferences. We, you know, we have these console fanboys for stupid reasons, but we do have preferences. Having been someone who has closely linked to Xbox for a long time, I'm very intrigued to know. Um, but if you could only take one console with you, because unfortunately we can't let you have PC. Um, you can have PC for Minecraft and Eve and all that kind of stuff, but you can't have it um, to emulate pretty much every Super Nintendo, every N64, every Sega game ever made. Um, <laughs> but you can have one console with the entire back catalog. So you wow. are going to a deserted island. And if you could only take one console with you, what would you, what would you take? Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I, I kind of shift. I, you know, since I've, growing up, you know, you always have... Even though people say that they might be agnostic towards console war stuff, you know, I, I participated in, and I'm guilty of it as, as, as anybody else. I started off as Super Nintendo and the Genesis <laughs> and then yeah. PlayStation and Dreamcast, Sega Saturn, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but um, as of since I left Microsoft, uh, you know, I've been mostly all about the PlayStation 4. But I will say, if I had to bring only one console, I'd, even though I never turned this thing on, I'd probably bring the Xbox One looking at my list because it's got Halo, it's got. 
You know, it's got an HD version of Metal Gear Solid 3. It's got Dark Souls, Phantom Dust now, Minecraft, obviously, because they own Minecraft, and then Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to come out on it. So, um, yeah, I uh, and also, again, I have that, that kind of personal connection of having worked at Microsoft and, uh, and written about Microsoft for Xbox Game Magazine. So, yeah, I guess I'm going to be taking an Xbox One if that's okay. And Xbox One is a good choice, especially now we're getting more Xbox 360 backwards compatible stuff, too, because... You feel like out of the two, you would definitely, definitely take a 360 uh, just because of the sheer extensive oh, yeah. library. And also the Bioshock, Xbox One. Yeah. I think the Xbox One's in a bit of a limbo right now because of the, the Scorpio stuff and also mm-hmm. Scalebound being cancelled and they not really have any exclusives. Like, I can't really see anything happening. E3. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Sea of Thieves. I'm, you know, it's, I'm, I'm holding that hope for Sea of Thieves and, uh, okay. and, 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 and Cuphead. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. There's a, you know, Xbox is going through a difficult time at the moment. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's primarily the reason why I, I think like a ten, on a, ten, a scale of 10 to 1, I've got PlayStation 4 games for, compared to Xbox One at the moment. Well, I'm sure they're going to be very happy to hear that. You're going to you're going to decide to take the Xbox One with you and fly the flag on your island, uh, just like <laughs> just like Japan. It's going to be very limited. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to be flying the Xbox the Xbox flag in a place that uh, it really shouldn't be flying. But Ryan, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today. As I said, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You have such a unique and very interesting history in the games industry, and also very interesting views on video games. And your choices have been both emotional and also very experimental and interesting. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I've had a great time and uh, yeah, looking forward to meet you in real life at some point. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So please, Ryan, tell the wonderful people who have listened this far uh, where they can find you on the internet. Also, what they should be checking out from, you know, your studio and uh, any sort of future things they should look out for. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm pretty quiet uh, publicly, but uh, I do have a Twitter account that I post something on once a month and it's, I'm at, at Ryan Payton and... Um, and then, yeah, Camouflage is just uh, working away on um, two unannounced uh, VR titles at the moment. Uh, the team has just been heads down on something that's uh, on, on two things that are really, really exciting for us. We're not sure when we're going to be announcing, but uh, we just feel really lucky uh, to be you know, still in business, even though that Republic was something we were really proud of. Uh, it's it, it wasn't like the biggest commercial success ever, but yeah. we've really grown something into something that I think we've, we've become a team that knows how to ship now. And we've got just... Some, one of the coolest things that, that we could ever have that we're working on. And so I'm very, very excited to be able to share that when the timing is right. That's uh, so, exciting yeah. to hear. That's really exciting to hear, considering how you sort of started Camouflage and where you've got to now, where you said you had about 40 to 45 people in your studio. That's, that's incredible. That's really good. And it's so excellent to hear that you guys are doing the ex- sort of experimental and cool VR stuff that you're going to be doing. Um, so that's really great to hear. Yeah. Now we've been, like I said, I've lived a very charmed life and it continues. And uh, I, I, even even today, I was going into the office feeling like, wow, how lucky am I to be working at this place and be working with these people? So yeah, I'm just, I'm very, very fortunate. I hope you keep that perspective on the island. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I might be raging and just destroying stuff. Well, remember I told you no replacements, so be careful. That's right. I'd be careful. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thank you for you listening to this episode right now and of listening all this all this way through my cold. Um, I imagine my cold has been outbalanced by the incredible positives of having Ryan on the show today and all of Ryan's interesting stories. So thank you so much for listening to the show. As always, you can find Final Games on SoundCloud. 
You can find it on iTunes, where you can also rate and review it, which is really helpful. You can also find it on Stitcher and Acast and all the other podcasting networks. Um, we recently were featured in an article on a popular fashion website as well for men. Nice. So, supposedly, it was the article is called uh, 10 podcast that will make you a more interesting man so supposedly uh listening to this show will make you a more interesting man i don't agree with that because <laughs> i'm not the most interesting man so but if you'd like to read that you can google that or something but that was really cool to be on um you can also find final games on twitter at final game show and you can also find me where i'm a little more active than ryan is on twitter uh, at liam bme where i talk about japan and video games and uh, uh having a cold as well <laughs> so as always, thank you so much for listening to Final Games. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review it. And I hope to see you again next week. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>